Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS 80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. It's time to drop your socks and grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. We're going to be a dumpster fire today. We're sure not going to try. Welcome to Coco Talk. My name is Steve Bjork. I've kind of been associated with the uh, Coco world now for almost 40 years. Oh, it's getting that old. Mm. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Curtis is also going to be joining me. We're co-hosting today while Stevie is out in Georgia. And uh, here he's, at the t- moment. he's here with us. Well, at least in spirit at some point but uh anyways um curtis why don't you go around and introduce our fine panel okay i guess i uh, will just go across hopefully not to make people bounce in and out of here while i'm doing it <laughs> uh from australia who's uh, hasn't been on too much lately but hopefully will be a lot more in the near future is david o'connor how are you doing um uh, pretty good this week curtis it's good to be back again cool Next to him is uh, Rick Adams. I think I believe you're sporting a new mic today too, aren't you? Uh, yeah, um, and I'm uh, surviving uh, uh, mowing my six-inch-tall uh, back lawn. <laughs> Love the yard work. Yeah, you it's get a lot a of sun up there in Minnesota during this time of the year. <laughs> it's weak, but it's there. <laughs> and of course, there's me and Steve. We'll skip over those people because we already introduced ourselves. On the next row on our panel of squares, that almost has a double meaning, <laughs> um, is Nick Morota. How are you doing? Good morning, afternoon, night, everybody. I don't want to be an East Coast snob, so I will make sure everything, everybody's covered. <laughs> doing well. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Cool. Next to him is our resident Apple guy, Mark Overholzer. Glad How are you doing, Mark? Thank you. Thank you. 
And then next to him is somebody we haven't actually seen in a while. I think he's been busy moving or something like that. And that's right. Doing job stuff. Mr. Rob Inman, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Curtis. I'd like to just say OS9 forever. Of course. Of course. Yes. <laughs> so are you going to say RSB forever yet? Or? <laughs> RSB forever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I was only going to say back in the day when we first got OS9, it was OS9 forever. That's how, that's how long it took for it to boot. Yeah, <laughs> floppy drive. That's pretty accurate. Ouch. That's, uh, that hurts. That hurts because it's true. I'm just glad they didn't bring out the cassette version. <laughs> <laughs> next to him is uh, one of our fellow Canucks, uh, Mr. D. Bruce Moore. How are you doing, Bruce? Doing great, thanks. How is the uh, book uh, sales doing? Uh, I haven't checked lately, but System Hacked is now available. You get it, get it at systemhacked.gracenote.ca. Cool. As long as no one hacks the website. Oh, yeah. There's a, <laughs> always a danger. I haven't it? read my copy yet. I need to get, I need to do that. Oh, right on. Thank and you. next to that is an almost snoozing Stevie Strobridge uh, hiding out in Hello, Georgia Bob. after a good plate full of grits, which is probably why he's nodding off at the moment. How are you doing, oh, Steve? Yeah. Food coma's kicking in. Good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Way to bring the energy up on this show. <laughs> and oh, people have moved around to me here. So there's Mark again. Ah, Mr. Grant Leedy, who's got a Garfield icon for some reason, which I'll have to ask exactly what that's about. Lasagna? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my favorite cartoon character from my youth is uh, Garfield. Oh, so we're talking but... like ages ago. Hey, I'm not that old. I'm, I'm probably younger than everybody else in this panel. Like we're talking so last century. <laughs> last millennium. Yeah, that's exactly true. What computer are we here for again? <laughs> ENIAC. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And next after that is the most positive guy I, I know. Uh, <laughs> it was always got a positive thing to say about everything and anybody. Uh, Mr. Mr. Nick Morantes. Uh, you good doing? everyone and uh yeah the biggest square of the lot here is here <laughs> <laughs> couldn't said it better myself <laughs> and after that is uh mr plastic dumpster fire himself richard lubrieski of boysen tech how are you doing richard well i i was doing okay until uh steve york referred to us as a distinguished uh fine panel i feel insulted <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just want to point out of the uh, 12 panelists here, uh, almost half of them are not in the United States. They are, I think mm -hmm. they're five, five out of 12, right? So we have a real yeah, international a pretty flavor. international panel today. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. And Curtis, don't forget somebody who's not in the squares, but he's the, he's the bottom square. Now, I think he's waving or something. It's, uh, oh, 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 there we go. Mr. He's trying Mark to get out. E. How are you doing, Mark? <laughs> we're gonna keep you busy today i bet too <laughs> the tech team never gets respect you only notice you when it goes wrong yeah we're to blame yeah. for today's show <laughs> yeah well and Curtis, I think that's everybody yep yep mark d overholds or yes yep yes. we did yeah. It's just that the uh, squares move around when you switch between your video and being on and off. Yeah. It likes to move them. In addition to people jumping in. 
Um, anyways, uh, does anybody have any interesting little, oh, that's on the panel, stories or small new bite, news bites? You know, something that takes about a minute or two uh, that they'd like to throw out now? I got one really, really small one. Um, I discovered a bug in the OS9 disasm long, long time ago, but I've been busy with work. But I actually had, I think on Wednesday or Thursday, about a five-minute break where I was waiting for several jobs to get answers from clients. So I actually had nothing to do for a brief bit of time. And I actually fixed the bug. I sent it to David Ladd to submit to the repository. It'll also be on the next ease of use, beta 5. It was a bug. Basically, when you're pushing and pulling on the U stack, it was erroneously putting the U register as one of the registers push pulling it. You can't push or pull a register onto itself. So uh, it had kind of swapped. It was supposed to be doing S in that case. I just fixed it. Right. So look, look for that coming up soon on the repository or on the next ease of use. So the next ease of use is going to be a ways off yet. It just shows you that, you know, there's problems in all software. It's just sometimes it takes you know, 30 years to fix it. Yeah, I have to go back to the original version that I did back in 1993 because I don't remember having that bug and I had disassembled the same program way back then that I originally found it in. So I, I think when people started adding new features, I think it kind of crept in, but I could be wrong. Maybe it was screwed up in the first place. But yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. I, I, we've been finding bugs in, in Nitrous 9 here the last little while that have been sitting there for two decades. Mm -hmm. I fixed a bug this year that was in uh, Temple of Rom in the uh, in the cartridge version. And I finally, I, I could never fix it while it was under development. And I finally found it and fixed it this year. So I felt all good about that. But uh, real minor bug, but it was driving, the, driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah, so the next time you're complaining about Microsoft not fixing bugs, just remember it takes us up to 30 years to get our shit straight. <laughs> <laughs> I'll still complain about Microsoft, sorry. That's just tradition. What uh, what was the bug, Rick? Um, when when it would draw the maze on the screen, uh, you'll see this if you have the the, the cartridge version. Uh, vertical lines would get clipped at the bottom of the screen one pixel too early, so there was mm. like a little gap between where it would stop drawing the line and the bottom of the screen. It's kind of like the gimme on the two hundred line mode. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Is the bug fix Temple of Rom available somewhere? I know that's a loaded question. It actually is. Right. Right. It... Well, actually, the uh, uh, in my contract, uh, it turns out that after uh, a couple of years, the rights to, uh, reverted back to me. So I could, you know, sell Temple of Rom right now, you know, or give it away or whatever, you know, with. Uh, with the bug fix so yeah but i haven't really done anything about that so it's it's such a minor bug but i'll i'll think about it you, you know i bet there would be a market uh, rick for a a enhanced version of temple of rom a few I'm more sure little tweaks and all that sort of thing now right. with one extra scan line yeah well <laughs> maybe a little more than that but yeah i, I bet you that would get people's attention Oh yeah, I I think that would be nice. I, I, I in, smell a, like in a real time shirt. clock, we need a real time clock in it. <laughs> <laughs> you you could do Coke with three enhanced colors, like we've been doing some of the other games too. Ooh, so. a co yeah, something yeah, that's really cool. Yes. Coke would be J for that matter. I actually, yeah, 
Well, it, uh, I also have put in some changes for the Cocoa 3 uh, to make the colors better on RGB monitors. Uh, mm. But uh, I, I know that I have very grandiosely said that, you know, uh, Temple of Ram 2 is coming. Well, not much has been done about that. My life has been kind of interesting lately, and I haven't really gotten to that. But I'm kind of hoping someday that that will happen. Well, how about 1.1 in the meantime? Right. Well, yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not a bad idea. Hey, be yeah, better colors and an extra scan line. How much since would we you don't pay? have Brother Jeremy? Yeah, we we can just get Bruce to play a song since we don't have Brother Jeremy. Just you know, let one point one free. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just pour yeah. one point one over to OS nine. Ooh. Sell that. <laughs> Uh, getting back on topic, but one thing I did want to interject here. This is answer your 45-minute estimate before. Mark, did you bring sandwiches for everybody? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I posted them in the chat. Oh, okay. <laughs> Email them. It's, it's pickup only, unfortunately, and it's quite a drive. So. Yeah. Well, at least these sandwiches don't have much in the way of calories. Not much in anything else, but you get quite a drive. It's a, it's a huge swim for us. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else has some interesting little act? We're off. It was Nick uh, Verona trying to phone you. <laughs> yeah. Well, the engineer seems it seems to be working again. Yeah. Okay. Streaming stream stop. Oh well, yeah, yeah, you're back. But do we oh, have to restart to YouTube or? No, YouTube's up. No, nope. we, we, we got YouTube's we got Coco Talk in the in the panel display there too now. Yep. Since uh, if you want, I can do the the chat while we're getting uh, reset up there. Everything is live. I'd like to thank uh, well, Mark V of course is in the chat. Explore VR, Ben Drake, Paul Fiscarelli says says yo, how you doing? Uh, Jim Gary's asking where the beer. Well, Stevie, Stevie promised beer, uh, I think. Uh, and then um, Jim Gary is encouraging uh, my OS9 comments um, by saying, Woot OS9 and more OS9. Uh, I'm and, sure Nick uh, Randy's put him up to that, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> John, John Laurie uh, says, hey guys, Chad Edward, how you doing? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's uh, the people out there. Thanks for joining. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, every week I'm, I'm still hoping, I'm still praying, but you know, it's, it's never, it's never happened yet, but I'm just waiting for someone with talent to show up on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I start now. that's our troll. But <laughs> 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 he's not Holy. as good as troll as Jim brings. Uh, Anyways, um, well, if nobody else has any quick uh, little bits or uh, on the panel. Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I do, actually. I was, okay. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Before everything froze on us. Um, it hasn't actually arrived yet, but a little bit of news that most people might have heard about is uh, Ed Snyder has finally got his uh, Coco 3 keyboards, custom keyboards, clicky keyboards uh, up and running. And I've got a custom one on its way that he's made specifically for me with a with a custom color scheme. So uh, 
hopefully within maybe next week or the week after, I might have that here and be able to show it on the show. But, uh, that's pretty exciting because Ed's done some fantastic stuff for the community. Yep, it's actually oh, yeah. in the news too. So I'll have a picture of one of the one of the keyboard samples there. So so are oh, your keys you. upside down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the arrow keys are upside down. <laughs> no, no, mine's I actually um, mine's going to have white main keys with dark gray dark gray shift and clear and enter. Um, and I suggested to Ed, he was going to make the blue keys for the arrows. And I really liked that. But I said, why don't we put light gray keys for the arrow keys? Um, so you might actually see that, uh, Curtis. There might be a, a photo of the of the white keys, dark gray with light gray arrows. Um, and that's the one that he's, he, he custom designed um, on my recommendation for my uh, Coco 3. So I'm pretty excited to get that here. Did he have a price for that? Um, he ha I, I haven't got an exact price, but I think it was, I think with postage, it's probably going to be somewhere around 200 Australian dollars. Now that's including postage here or something. So it could be give or take a bit, but uh, I'll let everybody know. Um, yeah. I, I, I believe he was, I think it was 120, if I'm not mistaken. 120 US. 120. Yeah, 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 yeah. So by the time it goes to Australian and with postage, it works out to around 200. With our crappy exchange rate. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know what you mean. We have the same issue. If Ooh. nobody else has got any particular little topics from the panel, why don't we have Curtis do the news? Yep, there's not a lot this week, but uh, I'll just do a couple. First one up is the one actually that uh, we were just talking about. So let me get my sharing. That's <laughs> ah, okay. There's not much news this week anyway, so we're live. <laughs> this is live, unscripted. <laughs> hey, are you guys seeing that? Yep. Yes. There anyway, we go. Speaking of Ed Snyder's keyboards. He did start shipping them, I think, literally within hours after last week's show. Um, but several have already been shipped. Um, Carl Van, Von Winkle here is one that mentioned it. And then, uh, David, you've obviously got yours. And I think there's a few others that have gone out in order, too. So is this the standard color scheme that he's doing then? Or is this? Yeah, I think that's the, that's the normal color scheme with, with, the, with the light gray keys, or brown or light gray. I'm not sure. It depends on the color balance of the camera. But, um, okay. And then the white for the special function, enter, clear, shift, alt, control stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I know yeah. he was having problems laser etching the red. And then he, I think he found an alternative red that's a bit easier to laser etch because he actually didn't have any text on it, like the word break or escape, like the, the original. Yeah, the, yeah, he came up with a, a slightly lighter color, a lighter color red, and it worked fine. Yeah. I, yeah, I do like the connector he's using. A lot better yeah, than the Mylar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you scroll down a little bit further there, uh, Curtis, there should be a picture of the light gray ones with the dark, uh, sorry, the, the white keys with the dark. Okay, so not this one? <laughs> uh, that's the standard color scheme. That's the original one he was doing with, uh, with the darker red, um, not okay. marked one, and the non-marked arrow keys. Yeah, I'm not sure why he did the unmarked arrow keys, because the, the white etch is fine. Um, yeah, yeah. The red, I know he was having problems, because it wasn't showing up. 
and there here's a little picture of it uh, showing the interior and how yep. the key switches work. Switches. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot better than the old. Uh, yeah. Wow. One. Yeah, absolutely. Nice, good quality. That's switching pretty. Keys. Now I'm just waiting for his LED version where each one lights up different colors and stuff there. Oh, mm. yeah. RGB. Uh, <laughs> definitely need it for a color computer. Yeah. <laughs> the keyboard will be, you know, the cost of about five color computers at that point, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, you'll have a computer just for the keyboard to run the lights. <laughs> and that's just the same one again, I think. That's the standard one. Oh, no, that's an inverted that's version of the standard one. Oh, right. Yeah, all white and then the gray for the special. Yeah. yeah so what's so good about this keyboard? What's the big deal anyway? It's, it's, a, real, it's a real mechanical switch keyboard. Yeah. Doesn't yep. doesn't use the old Mylar connections. Yep. Yeah, the Mylar yep. tended to fail. And unfortunately, if you have to get one of those special ink pins to fix it, and most of the time it didn't work. So if your keyboard went out, it was almost like you're out of luck. Well, when we play Mylar, there's actually Mylar sheet beneath all the keys. And then mm -hmm. it goes up to the Mylar right. connected to the motherboard. So, yeah, if anywhere it so, fails, Mylar doesn't work anymore. Right, okay. Also, so, typing on them is mm -hmm. much more enjoyable. It's like a real keyboard yeah. opposed to that weird hit that you get with the Mylar. Yep. This can, one here. Looks like a Coco 3 keyboard. Is this Coco 3 only? No, a Coco 3 keyboard works fine in a Coco 1 and 2, even as it is now, even the standard Radio Shack one. That's why everybody was selling those keyboards. Wasn't he, didn't he mention something he's trying to get to work on a Coco uh, 2? There's an issue or something? Well, there's as, far as, mounting, as far as mounting? Yeah, yeah. it's the mounts on the, on the side. He's, he's saying he's working on the, the, the 1 and 2 models now. Yeah, because um, he's got those little plastic things that you put in to mount it because it needs a nice solid base to sit on. It can't just kind of float around. So he was yeah. doing the modifications for Coco 2. Plus, I think he had to do some the different connector in the earlier Coco 1s where mm -hmm. it wasn't just a straight yeah. ribbon mylar plugging in. It actually had that little header connector. Right. This one here that we're seeing right now, that's my second favorite one. That's the one with the blue arrow keys. Um, I was kind of thinking it, I really like the blue, but I was kind of sort of thinking it sort of looks a little bit Toys R Us, a little bit sort of thing. Um, I didn't know whether it sort of looked a little bit sort of not sort of professional. I mean, I know they're color computers and they're, they're, you know, they're not aimed at the, at the professional market, but still, I, so I thought maybe what, what if we put light gray keys where the blue arrow keys are and, and Ed tried one out and I think it looks really good. I think it's yeah. Real and I think if I remember Ed mentioning it, I think the keys, most of them, like the different colors are all the same price. So it doesn't change the cost of the device. And since he's etching all the tops, he doesn't have to worry about anything specific. Yeah, I couldn't actually decide between the, the blue and the light gray. I think I do prefer the light gray. So Ed's actually shipping mine with a, a, a key puller tool and some blue keys as well. So I can swap them over if I want. Yeah, I, I think I'll probably order this one, though I'll get the darker red that or lighter red or whatever the different shade of red is so that you can etch the break and escape. Yeah, I, same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely the bottom line with this keyboard. If you mm -hmm. have to type on it or you're especially coding, or you just like playing games with your keyboard, this is what you want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, also, I agree. Like David's case, he doesn't have a keyboard for his one Coco. I mean, he, there's nothing yep. to, you know, Yeah, he doesn't have the extra the keys whole, right now. He's using a, the whole thing. Yeah. I'm actually using the, the there, there they are. Yep. 
The yeah. bottom one in these two pictures here, that's the one with that's the one the colour scheme I'm going with, except with the lighter brake there with with etched on it, with brake etched on it or escape yeah. etching on it. But the nice thing is though is because of the way he orders these keys, you know, they're just generic keys, right? Um, with a couple yeah. of slightly different size, like the space bar and the inner key and shift and stuff. No, but they're the same. You keys. can customize it for almost no extra cost. Like you can pick whatever the colors you want. You can even change the etching, I, I guess, technically, if you wanted to. You know, yeah, add yeah, yeah. Characters or whatever yeah. on there, or a different font for the characters. Yeah, well, well he actually he extra extra stop sign on one of them, and he extra the Cylon on <laughs> on another one of his break keys, which is kind of appropriate. So, I mean, yeah. if you, if you have one game you that's keyboard operated that you play all the darn time, you could even get it like a custom keyboard just for it. Yeah, mm -hmm. assuming you're rich and and you don't know, have money to burn, but yeah. Well, the the other advantage of this uh, keyboard, this particular keyboard, is since these are mechanical switches, there if one of them goes out, it's very easy to fix. Yeah. So it can be easily replaced. So you, unlike the mylar, which could affect several keys or or just the entire keyboard, uh, so and and these things are are fairly common, so it, it's an easy fix. On that note, I wonder if Ed would be willing to have an option to ship several extra mechanical keys so that if you have to fix it later, you can with the exact type because these mechanical keys, there's all sorts of different feelings where it's a mm. sharp feeling where it goes down and it's not. So all of a sudden, if you have to go out and replace a key and it's a totally different type, you're gonna be typing away, you go, uh, uh. Every time you hit that T key, you go, why does it feel so different? Yeah, you're talking about the key switch itself though, right? Right, the physical yeah. key switch, yeah, not yep. not the uh, not the, the thing that you touch, switch. but I'm talking, yeah, the actual switch. The other thing I like about these keyboards too is that the actual connections underneath. If you turn the keyboard upside down, you can actually uh, easily get to the switch contacts on the other side of it. Um, and I asked mm -hmm. Ed about this whether we could actually whether it'd be safe to solder wires onto them. He said, "Yeah, no problem." So. I'm mm -hmm. actually going to modify mine and add some connectors on it for some custom programs I'm going to be making for the modular synth and use those as inputs uh, mm -hmm. from my synthesizer so I can trigger things. Like I might, I might in one of my programs, I might have something where it recognizes the S key for a step for the sequencer or something like that. Maybe you could make so a that's... numeric keypad too. That'd be cool. Yeah, well, yeah. No reason why not. Fitting it in the case might be a bit difficult, but yeah, you'd have to put it put it beside it or something. Yeah, because yeah, we, we we've been talking like Nick and I've been talking about that too about uh, the fact that some of the old Coco One and Two games were really designed to have your left and right arrows on the right side and your up and down arrows on the left side. It was much easier to yep. play two games in this little diamond thing, and it'd be nice yeah. to have a keyboard that has both versions and they're just wired to the same wire so that you can have your alternate keys or you can use the the diamond shape either or. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really used to the, you know, from my Coco one days having the, the, the up and down arrows on the left and the left and right ones on the on the right side. Uh, it would be a bit difficult, I would think. Yeah. Um, there are some gaps, though. I mean, you could maybe put stuff by the space bar, like as long as they're far left and then and, and for that point, if they were a little bit lower on the key area, then I would be fine with it. Yeah, something like that. I'm sure there's something yeah, that we could yeah. do that would be a little bit more. Oh, like a keypad, you'd have to cut the case, though, to get that to fit. That's why well, I think we all yeah. sold it separate. He could have like a spot on the keyboard where you plug in 
the connection, the alternate keyboard, and yeah. then just have the cable come out of the case and go to a separate boxed keyboard. Yeah, Steve, I'm trying to remember the HGL, they had a numeric keypad that they sold third party along with their HGL 57 keyboard. Right. Do you remember, did that go, did that plug in the keyboard itself or does that come out of the cartridge board? I can't remember. You remember Steve Bjork? Yeah, I'm thinking and I can't. I okay. do remember somebody had a design where you had to modify the case to bring the cable out. Okay. So that you could. Um, I remember and, trying it at a fest, and it was really nice. It was like real key switches, like this is too. But mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember if it plugged in the cartridge port or not. Yeah. Well, yeah I remember. Yeah, I just remember it was something that came on the market. And I never saw it sold. No, you I know. saw it actually at the fest. I did. I did. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I saw it at a fest, but I never saw an ad for it again. Oh, okay. And here's the connector, which is actually a yeah. solid piece, not just the you know plastic. Oh, that that is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Totally hate mm. the mylar. Yep. Yeah. I get nervous and sweat every time I got to put that thing in. Yeah. You figure yeah. you might just slip and like bend it and snap the end off or break a wire. Well, you got to remember this thing is almost as thin as that mylar. This is actually a printed circuit board. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's still got to be better. Yeah, <laughs> be way, way better than I sweat yeah. bullets every time I got to insert that thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful keyboard, and the fact that you can customize the colors, you can get customized keys if you want. I mean, this is just a beautiful product. I think it's worth the extra cost. Yeah, you know, one of my projects coming up, I've, I've talked about a couple of a few shows back, was um, I've got a Model Four case here, and I've got three. Coco ones here at the moment, and one of them I'm going to graft into the co into the uh, Model Four case. Um, and when I do that, I, uh, that'd be an ideal opportunity to order a uh, custom keyboard from Ed and see if he could design a, a, a numeric one to go in there, because there's a spot in the Model Four case for a numeric keypad. Yeah, and I do remember. I think it was was it 80 Micro or 80 US Journal or something like that, that actually did have a hack mod where people took a Model 3 keyboard that was earlier than the Model 4. And they actually took, gave you the exact measurements to cut the Coco 1 case apart to get it to fit. It barely did, but I mean, it actually had the numeric keypad and the extra keys too. So it has been yeah, done before, okay. but as a complete hack job. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if people want more information on it, there's information in the Facebook page. Also, yep. you can go to Ed's website, that Zipsterzone.com, I think. What was it again? Zipsterzone.com, is that his? I'll post okay. it in the chat. Okay. Okay, cool. Right. I haven't no. checked to see if he has yet, but uh, I know he's sold a few already, so yeah. and there's a pretty long waiting list. <laughs> yeah, and, yep. and, and, and it's just that he's got a lot of other great products. If he keeps coming out with products like this, he's going to have a wait list on everything. He's just not going to have time to get everything done. <laughs> yeah, he's going to have Somewhere. to start enlisting uh, you know, some help on manufacturing he can you know, order all the parts and make the boards and stuff but get somebody else to do the like putting all the key switches and the keys in and stuff yeah labor yeah. and this is pretty if you remember from a few episodes ago where we showed you know how the laser etching works we asked to like move the keyboard for each row and adjust it exactly right so it's burned centered in because there's nothing to automatically forward it and there's different heights you got to burn at and as because the keys are sculpted to slope down as you go down the keyboard you have to keep adjusting the height too to get it to properly burn the etching mm -hmm on it too so it's it's labor intensive it's a really amazing price really when you consider the work that goes into yep. it and what he's done he's it's it's he's, not expensive at all for what he's, he's done he's pretty well doing his labor for free as far as i can tell it's kind of like a not yeah, yeah thank he's you Ed. Yep. yeah okay well i think we beat this one to death what's our next news <laughs> item 
This this is not so much news that uh, it, it was a, a magazine I've never heard of before. I've never seen it before. Now, I think Nick Marentes, you said you actually have some of these Computronics. If, I don't know if Nick Marentes is. Yeah, here. I think I do. I have to go through all my magazine archives, but I do recognize it. Yeah. So is anybody else like Steve Bjork or some of the other people here that you've seen this one before? From what I understand, though, it eventually changed its name to something else within a year or two after it started publishing. But and it covered all the tier mm -hmm. cities, including the Coco, as you see. Morning, guys. What was that? Hey, Chad. Uh, Good morning, Chad. Dude. Just joined. Hey, Chad. How you doing? Um, hey. I, I, I did flip I through a few of these. Facebook, um... I got What's that? I joined via Facebook, but I got booted, so I came on via Zoom. Okay. Computronics um, did... was actually an Australian electronics company based out of Western Australia. They uh, eventually went bust, and I actually worked for the basically the Phoenix company that rose out of the ashes here in Brisbane called LED Signs Australia. They actually used to manufacture a whole heap of electronics stuff, a lot of uh, grid matrices for your LED displays. I worked for them here in their uh, Brisbane depot. One of my friends was the manager there for a year and a half prior to my current job. And so wait, was this an Australian magazine then? or? It's Computronics was actually an Australian company and they manufactured massive LED signs and LED displays, especially, and they specialized in scoreboards. Okay, because I noticed the pricing on the top there mentions the US and the UK. There's nothing about Australia. So is it I just want to make sure this is the same company we're talking about? They might have been a subsidiary of a of a UK company. I'm not sure of the full details there, but I remember Computronics was actually advertised heavily in Electronics Australia magazine and Silicon Chip magazine over here. And they went bust oh, easily 10 years ago. Actually, okay. now that you mention it, I do remember that because I I was right into Electronics Australia big time. I've got a, in fact, I've got probably two or three decades worth of Electronics Australia magazines in my shelves. So I do remember that being in there. Yeah, now that you mention it, they could be affiliated somehow. Yeah, because they're mentioning in the lower left corner here, like you know, any Computronics in New York. So I'm just wondering if that's the same company or if, or if it was an, an international company that you know was all over the place or? It, it might have just had, like Australia's got Hungry Jacks as opposed to Burger King, but it's still essentially the same thing, so. Okay. Yeah, like I said, I'd never heard of it, but I do though they said that it merged with, uh, what is it? I think Greg Cranon said. H.L. Like Computronics Magazine ended when it was merged into Basic Computing Magazine, which was formerly 80 US Microjournal. That one I do remember, beginning with the September 1983 issue, so. That was part of that whole collapse, you know, the video game crash also caused a lot of magazines to end or merge or whatever at the same time period. Well, you also, can flip also remember that when it comes to trademarks, you trademark the name, not just the name, but also in a particular industry. So yeah. you can and have two countries. companies using the same trademark, but they can be totally separate. Yeah. And you yeah, also well, you have to register in each country too. So, I mean, you may yeah. have something totally, totally different yeah, companies. The perfect example of that is 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 Moog, M O O G, Moog synthesizers, and there's also a, a Moog Automotive uh, mm -hmm. company as well, and they're both American. Yeah. So yeah, totally different industries, but same name. Yeah. Well, there's there's not much cocoa stuff in there. I'll tell you, it, it, there's uh, you can flip through the issues um, on the Internet Archive, and I went through two uh, two of those issues, and there was almost no cocoa stuff. So that. That one uh, cover might be a, a rare um, oh, okay. feature article. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have to admit, when it came to U.S. stuff, I never really heard of the magazine. It's something that may have came and gone. But back in those days, I was mostly concentrated on Coco and general computer hardware. Yeah. So it's just like I remember uh, 80 Micro used to cover the Coco. They had Coco sections and stuff in the early 80s, and then they spun off Hot Coco, and then I think it merged back before they both folded. Mm hmm. Hey, next up, uh, we were getting all those um, AGD game packs from the students in Scotland. We had four packs that came in, and they still want feedback uh, if any of you guys have had a chance to try the games and stuff, either on the archive or on the Coco list, et cetera. Just to let, give these 10 and 11-year-old students you know, some feedback, what you thought of their games, et cetera, which is a really cool idea. But I know Art Flexer and a few others were asking, like, what exactly does AGD code and stuff look like? Like, what exactly is it? And uh, Per Serrat is actually posted here. Basically, the way it works on the Cocoa is that he has a C program he wrote that basically decompiles the compiled Spectrum version and then creates the, uh, the pseudo language that, uh, is based, that, that the original Spectrum games are written in, which you know, controls the sprites, et cetera. So he's got uh, a posting here that actually has sample code that they've disassembled or de decompiled from the... Uh, I think four game samples that he did here. I'm not going to show you all that stuff. If you guys are interested in that, you guys can grab it and I'll, I'll send the links up so we can post them on the show notes on uh, YouTube, et cetera. But uh, just to let you know that there is some sample code if people are wondering how those games are written on the spectrum. I, as far as I know, there is no native compiler for the Cocoa to do it on a Cocoa itself. Hey, um, Simon Jonasson uh, posted a, a four voice sound thing where he's using uh, some tables and, and wave tables and stuff to give a, a slightly smoother sound because uh, Eric Avila kind of criticized it uh, when he did the original three voice demo. Um, uh, That's Eric, not unlike Eric. Yeah, si Simon worded it as here is that Eric said it sounded like a flock of angry robots. He actually said something much worse than that, but I'm not going to repeat it. <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, I think I've got audio. I won't play the whole thing, but we'll just play a little bit here. Right, can you guys hear that? Yeah. Is it too loud? Should I drop it down a bit? It does sound smoother to me than the original. So it takes more CPU. I played this on my system, and I got it to sound a lot better than this audio. Oh, okay. Like the actual code, you mean? Oh, no, no. What I'm just saying is opposed to the way I'm hearing my headphones right now. Oh, okay. The way that people are hearing it. It does sound. Definitely go on Facebook, play it yourself on a good sound system, and you'll hear it a lot better. Anyway, like I said, I'm not going to play what the whole can, thing. Just go on Facebook. So what can you do with 50% with of the CPU being free, Steve? Uh, can you still do some games and have this playing in the background? Well, the games will be running 50% slower, but if you're making, if it, you're not tasking the system that much, it does work. But you also have to watch your um, uh, regular vertical interrupts don't get too long because that could distort the audio too. Uh, yeah. These, as I said, he's a good demo writer and like that but still i would like to see him actually implement this technology in a full-fledged game yeah i have a feeling him and paul thayer are working together on that so we yeah. might actually see yeah. something on that i'm looking yeah. forward to seeing it yeah 
And I can give some examples that actually do run something like this. Uh, uh, Contras runs two-voice digital sound in the background. Photon runs multi-voice music in the background. Um, Contras is using hardware scrolling, so it's not as CPU intensive because the scrolling is being done on the hardware. Photon, Photon you're just moving shapes on a static screen. Yeah, Photon, you, there's a lot of uh, waiting for the user to do something. There should be lots of overhead to do good yeah. music. Yeah. I mean, later levels yeah. on Photon, there's literally about 30 sprites also running around too, but um, it's uh, it's a very well-written game. Uh, Grabber, even on the Coco 1 and 2, was playing two-voice music, with, but it's there's not much moving. There's a static, two mazes, and then you've got four monster shapes, a couple blinking bits, and you're in your player. There's only like basically six or seven things moving on the screen at once. Yeah, one of the yeah. issues when you sit there and you're talking about a game where you say you don't have a lot going on, but all of a sudden you've got a lot going on all of a sudden, and then you don't. It's during that time that when a lot's going on, that's really working against your sound system. And yep. at least you still got 50% <laughs> of your CPU to get that a lot done. So yeah. it, it, I mean, you can look at it another way too. I mean, considering that the Coco 3 runs at full double speed all the time. Well, if you're using 50% of this time on a Coco 3, you could run a Coco 1, 2 game basically at full speed at the same time. Well, you'd right. the graphics down to P mode three or four or whatever, and you can change the palettes to make it look a little bit fancier, but you could do something like that. Yeah, but when you start going into like 16 color mode, you need that speed of the CPU to have offset that extra memory work. Yeah, it'd be better for strategy type games. Like I think Roger Taylor did uh, background music like this in, in Jeweled, but it's a fairly simple you know, game. Puzzle game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too is that when you're doing music for like a title screen, you can forgive some issues that might be in the music, but if the music is comp playing constantly, you really got to have that music pleasant or yeah, else yeah. the person's going to go nuts. They're just going to hit that yeah, S key. Like to turn it off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> predator. <laughs> predator. Yeah. <laughs> in this demo, so I just want to say in this, in this demo here, <clears throat> Simon talks about, I think he says one voice is using the sawtooth wave and the rest are using wave tables. When I listened to it, um, I, yeah, there's a lot of really smooth tones there. I think it's the lowest line that's got the sawtooth wave. And for some reason through Zoom, that's the one that seems to be dominating. So right. it does actually sound a lot smoother when the voices are more in balance. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And so, as uh, I said, when you listen to it on Facebook, it'll sound better than what you're hearing in this video. Yeah, uh, I think Paul Piscarelli is commenting on this, saying something's coming soon in this regard. Uh, and he also posted a, a YouTube video. So I'm wondering if we should take a look at that. It sounds like it's something uh, related to sound. Uh, where did he post it? Uh, uh, he posted it in the YouTube. in the YouTube chat. Just while we're well, just while we're still on the on Simon's demo. Um, one thing that impressed me about it was, and I made a comment on that uh, on that Facebook thing um, about the SID chip in the, the Commodore 64. I, you know, everyone's saying how wonderful, and it, it was it was a fun chip. But I think Simon's demo, the actual audio on it, actually sounded smoother than the SID chip, and that's coming straight off the CPU in the Coco. It just really shows what the 6809 is capable of doing. Well, we do have a SID player that was put out by. Uh... Remzi, I can't remember what his real name is. He's from Europe, but yeah, he's doing yep. wicked graphics and sound demos, and he has one that actually emulates a SID chip. Yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. But my point there was that what Simon's come up with here actually sounded smoother than the SID chip to me. It's, um, he's used um, pulse. The know. ones eating their breakfast. What was that? Yeah, that's me. 
Hey, uh, Curtis, you wanna you wanna play Paul's video? It sounds like it is a uh, demo with a three voice player with the Simon's three voice player and graphics in the back. This one here on the that you post in the Zoom chat too? Nope. Is a YouTube something? Yeah. Called, somebody yeah, posted. Something Zoom chat. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. thank you. Check. Thanks, check. Mark. Yeah. Just a few tabs open. No, no <laughs> pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all. Just the These are surprising me, guys. Uh, ooh. So is this from himself? Like he wrote this, or because it sounds like Simon's old demo. Doing any hardware tricks with the scroll because that's actually just a memory. In fact, he's got dinosaurs in there, I think. Hmm. You could turn this into a dinosaur version of uh, Moon Patrol and just have him jumping over. Yeah. Okay, I'm just reading his comment here adding joystick, jump button, and scoreboard. Still tons of cycles left and more to reclaim. This is using Simon Jonas's frequency player, so he's using Simon's old player. Yeah, but I can't listen to this too much. Yeah, <laughs> after a while, you got to just turn it off. <laughs> I mean, well, guys, Super Pitball, it played a tune, yeah, but I had the S key. You hit that, or was it the M key? It turned off the music. Yeah, I, I think most of the games that do the background music usually have that option. Because, I mean, when you initially play it, it's cool. You get to hear this tune that goes with it. And after a while, it's just because it's the same tune over and over. And it just doesn't matter what platform you're on. This is not specific to simon's demos or, or coco or anything else it's just you get kind of tired of it you want to put hey, your headphones paul. on and listen to your mp3 player type thing instead yeah i'll hey, just using that as a, as a test yeah he's hey, even paul saying Mario. guys it's a proof of concept give him a break yeah <laughs> <laughs> even super mario brothers the music eventually mellows out yeah uh next item Next item, um, Gaming History Source, which has been doing some of these comparison videos of, of arcade games, both official ports and unofficial ports and clones, et cetera, did a massive Pac-Man one and he even said up front, I couldn't cover even close to my old clones because there's been so many. And he even included some of the electronic you know, stand-up ones. I think, Nick, you've got a Pac-Man sitting beside your monitor, Nick Marentes I'm talking about. Um, and actually that's one of the ones he demoed on here. So he's even got the little, little mechanical LED ones type things. Um, but two of the Coco ones he put in here, I think he erroneously put um, Nick's Pac-Man tribute as a Coco 1-2. It's not, it's Coco 3, obviously. And he also put uh, Hewlett's uh, transcode of the arcade game. And I mean, compared to some of the other 8-bit machines that they, you know, they brought in some of the homebrew better versions than the official ones too. And I think we hold up really, really well. Um, the one problem is though is that for some reason on Nick's the sounds a bit warbly and the colors are really really faint. I don't know how the guy was playing or recording this, but it was it wasn't the best showing. <laughs> so this is uh, Glenn Hewlett's transcode version of it, and he always starts these videos with the original arcade games. You can kind of compare if you go back. And I think in this case he might even be playing it in composite. I'm not even sure. 
And of course, Glenn has the vertical scroll option too. But he's got a little bit of a ripple in there too, so I don't know if that's his capture device. Like here you can see the, the maze is really faded. I'm not sure what. This what is the next version? Content. Yeah, this is next, the tribute version. And the sound's really quiet. Like, I don't know what happened there. I had a few of the videos that had some little weirdness to it. So not exactly sure what happened. But anyway, it was, was kind of cool because he's got 100 versions of Pac-Man this video from uh -huh. every machine under the sun. FM7 to the Exidy Sorcerer to... TI-99 to the Amiga to DOS, you know, just tons of them. It's actually, if you're into Pac-Man and the history of Pac-Man as far as ports and clones go, it's actually quite an interesting video, but it's over two hours long. Just to warn you. Uh. <laughs> yeah, this is a special one here for Stevie Stroh and for Nick Morota. <laughs> you can see what happens after you clear a couple screens. Sorry, oh. guys. <laughs> Nick Morota getting thrown under the bus. <laughs> Pac-Man I was good at. Oh, were you? Okay, we're going to have to have you do a live play at some points. <laughs> well, you should do it good would. at Glenn's then, because Glenn's is using the actual arcade original software, so the pattern yep. should work. Yep. I noticed you said you were good at it. What happened? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Years have gone by. Wow. <laughs> and my last bit of news here, uh, James Diffendaffer posted in Discord. He's been optimizing MC10 basic ROMs, as we know. And I think him and William Astle have been passing some notes back and forth for the Cocoa ROMs as well. So we did a, a comparison here running the uh, stock ROM versus the uh, modified ROMs of doing some of the stuff he's optimized. He optimized like um, string handling. He's optimized for next loops. He's optimized screen scrolling and a few other things. So he did a demo that basically is doing sorts of strings. Um, unfortunately, the two sides weren't started at the same time, so it's kind of hard to show, except for the fact that the left one starts earlier and the right one finishes first. I'm not going to play it because it's a pretty boring watching a sort. <laughs> but um, so is it? So how would this work in a Coco Three? Because it copies in the ROM to RAM and it makes the changes there. So could you? Yeah, you can you repatch do? it yourself. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this, so this you could... specific. This is 6803 code he's doing here, but uh, uh, but I think right. he said he's like he's got he's got MC10 basic running between five to fifteen percent faster, which is almost like native mode on a six zero nine on a Coco three. So it's a pretty good speed up, and for Jim Gary, you know, it might help some of his games get a bit more complex when it gives him right. a bit more time to do. Well, if you if you want to run Jim Gary's um, programs on a real computer. Um, I did post the link to Jim Gary's OS9 level two uh, basic 09 uh, games earlier in the chat. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's had a few out, which we got actually tried running under the newest versions of these of used to because I've sped up a lot of the graphics stuff too. So, mm -hmm. are we saying that M the MC10 is not a real computer? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for Steve Bjork to pipe in on that one, but uh... everybody knows my opinion of that piece. <laughs> The the MC ten I give it I give it five stars out of hundred. No no five. The reason I give it five stars it's one star for every minute I played with it. Uh. <laughs> anyway, that's all the news I had. The other pictures for a segment later on. So I'll stop sharing. It's summer, so I mean a lot of not a, a lot of stuffs happening, but. 
Well, I mean, well, I, I don't know if you summer want to cover for some it now, us. but we, we could just do a quick uh, reminder that VCF West is next week, uh, Saturday and Sunday, San Jose, actually Mountain View, California, near uh, the Computer History Museum. Uh, in there. the Computer History Museum. In the, excuse me, in the Computer History Museum. Uh, Mark O and Mikey, myself and Tim Lindner will be uh, there. You can read about what we're up to on the VCF uh, West site that I'll post in the chat. What uh, what uh, what days are those on again? August third and fourth. That's Saturday, Sunday, or yep, Saturday. yep. Will you, you guys, guys live streaming? Live streaming? Yeah, that was my question. Yes, we will be. Uh, we will do something similar to what the Music Man did during Coco Fest. Uh, so we'll have some kind of laptop or something that will silently stream in the background, and we might be able to do a quick shaky cam, but you know, not too long, just to kind of show what's going on and. That's one of the advantages of, of having Coco talk be live during during the day is is we can show a little bit of live video. Okay, because I wouldn't mind seeing like some of the show floor. Like we've seen some VCS stuff before, just to see what's out there. But I wouldn't mind also seeing because you guys are actually setting up a booth to demonstrate some of the Coco mm -hmm. stuff. It's to show reactions to it. Like what do people that are not normally yeah. knowledgeable about the Coco, what do they think about some of the stuff you're showing? Yeah, that's a really good um, reminder because that, that's something that we might forget to do is actually, uh, so I'll try to remember to do that and get some, we'll get a bunch of uh, video from around the floor, but also mm -hmm. I will take a video of, let's say somebody's talking to Mikey about something and uh, even if it's just, uh, even if you can't hear what they're saying, I could, uh, I could do, uh, you know, describe it later. Um, so we'll, we'll try to get some of that uh, yeah, it's a good idea. It'd be nice to see something. It would be kind of like seeing, you know, Nick Mirandi's reaction when we did the OS9 commercial with Nick Marionettes <laughs> or something like that. You know, it could be a gold. <laughs> uh, well, or my reaction when I saw Nick uh, Marentes using OS9. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> that was that was shocking. Did you turn um, pale? <laughs> yes, I did. I turned several a, shades a, a of water, pale. What a shade of pale. Yeah. So I mean, uh, when I used to watch Nick on OS9, it was usually he was dragging everything on the desktop of OS9 onto that new fancy trash can he designed. So, <laughs> um, cluttering. So, gotta go. gotta go. Anything, Mark? You think we should talk about what's on the the tables? I mean, we'll we'll have uh, hardware demos. We've got. Uh, I believe I have the software to the game that's sort of like Super Mario Brothers, uh, uh, Cersei. Cersei? Oh, okay. Yeah, we're um, just gonna try to show off as much new Coco stuff as possible. So we got on new. the game Master Cartridge, and we've got the Coco FPGA, the Coco Pie, obviously uh, Nitrous 9 Ease of Use, yep. um, Popstar Pilot, and um, all sorts of things. Yeah, also and, that, and, uh, and a shameless plug for the boomerang, I'm sorry. I just had to. Oh, yes. Yes, we will have the boomerang. We will have the paragons. We'll have the uh, bomb bomb threat. We'll have the uh, force to doom. We'll have all the way to software. Well, uh, one of the things I was going to uh, mention I, um, was I'm also going to send you guys a, it's going to be a proof of concept and it's going to be a demo. It's going to be a real time clock. I mean, this is, I'm not kidding about this. This is an actual <laughs> real time clock you could put into the ROM socket. And you could put a ROM on top of it, so it'll fit right inside. It, it can go to any uh, ROM cartridge, which or a ROM that's 24 pin or 28 pin. Uh -huh. now so I how many machines this... are you guys having set up at this booth? Like, how big is your booth here with all this stuff being like, are you taking turns with everything? Like, you know, for the first hour I'm showing this, next hour I'm showing this. Or is there a whole bunch of things set up at once? We're gonna have well, to. Two, 
it's two tables. I mean, in, in the and there's three. Well, two cocoa threes, a cocoa two, and then you have like the the FPGA slash pie. Um, so it all should kind of fit. Uh, we'll have to see how. I, I'm a little concerned about kind of how the monitors are, the monitors are going to look, and and and. But Mikey's kind of working on that, so. Okay, it's, it's and a lot Steve, of stuff. is this Steve Bjork? Is this close enough to you that you'll be able to attend and take a look at it if you uh, want? Sadly, I have a convention in my main business that weekend. Oh, okay. Shoot, it would be kind of cool to have you there to kind of just pop in and say hi too. So anyway, I posted the link uh, for the event, and if you are in the, on the West Coast somewhere, it it uh, you never know. You can get a quick flight on Southwest. Uh, you may be able to go. So check prices and, and maybe if you can, you might be able to drive. Um, in any case, you are where it all began. Uh, Apple and uh, uh, everything except Tandy started in uh, Silicon Valley. So. Yeah. so join us. That's my uh, VCF uh, West uh, update. Sure, when you're there, take a tour and go see the flying saucer over at Apple. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the new Apple campus, absolutely. And then security will escort you out. <laughs> is, the, is the old HP grad still there too? In Palo Alto? I think so. I think you can tour that. Yeah, kind of cool. That's a bit of history too, so. Anyway, th thanks, for uh, that, thanks for that update. Uh, we kind of mentioned it last week, but you weren't here, so it's, it's nice to get some Yep, I saw that. Yep, Mikey did his update last week, and I thought I'd, I'd mention it just because it is coming up um, just a week from today. And then we will do maybe a, a video recap of recorded recap the week after. Okay, yeah, and get some reaction videos if you can from the other people sitting. That I we don't usually see these at these these fests, and I'd like to see you know what the the other guys think. Yeah, now, I, I wish I, I had I'm, that. I was Go gonna ahead. say I'm not sure because uh, this is a family show, and I'm I'm sure there's going to be some violence. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish hope. I had that guy, uh, Billy Eichner or something, the man on the street guy who runs up to people and yells at them with the microphone. That would be cool. They'd be like, Tandy, color computer, what's your reaction? Um, but, you know, anyway, I guess I'm the only one that has seen that. I've seen that. All right. Okay. I don't think I we have any more news here. I mean, Nick's got a little announcement to do in the Game On segment, but I think, Steve, you mentioned we want to do a commercial. Yeah, we're going to go do a commercial break and when we come back. We're going to talk about our fond memories of the early days of the Cocoa when we first got involved with it. You want to okay, use that to segue into that? the commercial? And now, Cocoa Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. If the adapter to let your joystick work with CocoMax is called a high-res joystick interface, why is the one that lets you use an Atari joystick not a low-res joystick interface? <laughs> Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom and Shanghai, and you've tuned into Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Get ready. 
What's going on, everybody? Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, then you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. There you will find custom designs by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. You can get I'm a Coconut, Coco Talk, and other cool video game images on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or mouse pack. So if you love retro, then head on over to the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com today. Tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Radio Shack TRS-80 put the world of color computing into your home. Instant loading program packs turn any color TV into an exciting game arcade. And there's more. The color computer is an educational aid, a home management tool, and up-to-the-minute electronic information service. The programmable, expandable TRS-80 color computer from $399 only at Radio Shack, the biggest name in little computers. Hi, I'm Bruce Moore, and this is... Jacob Moore, gotcha? And we are the Forest of Doom guys, and the Coco Forever guys, and we are at Coco Fest, and we love Stevie Stroh. Imagine a different world. A world where Tandy Corporation has the upper hand. Where the Coco surpassed all competitors. And all you have to do is travel back in time without making a single mistake. Coco forever. definitely earn this office. Yes, you're too kind, and thank you. You want to grab some food before we head back and look at that alt-reality OS9 module? <laughs> it's only about 40 years past due, but yeah, sure. shopping has never been better at Radio Shack. Here's proof. Our new ultra-high-performance 386SX 20 megahertz computer with 85 megabyte hard drive, only $12.99. And it's from Tandy, manufacturer of the best-selling PC compatibles in America. Or get a 286-based Tandy home office computer with color monitor and hard drive, only $899.95. Shop your friendly nearby Radio Shack. Great selection, superior service. Nobody compares. We now return you to Cocoa Talk. Oh, seeing tan the Tandy business stuff just hurts me, what it did to the Cocoa. Uh, yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's just the way the stores operate, it's like, okay, we could put this $30 game here, or in the same spot, we can put this $300 piece of business software. Which one do you think the store wants to put there? Even though they're going to sell a lot more of the $30 game, it's still that that's the way they looked at it yeah unfortunately that was an industry-wide thing too because i mean yeah. everybody else was starting to make pc compatibles too even with commodore and stuff and they i mean all the independent computers kind of went to the wayside late 80s early 90s so exactly apple. Mm, dark ages oh they, they they hanged on to that apple two line for the longest time yeah the 2gs oh. was up to what 93 or something uh no 86 86 to about 89 90 
their last Apple II was the Platinum, which was 93. But no, they, oh, they had to keep it around because the Mac wasn't paying the bills. The Apple II paid the bills. Didn't Microsoft help keep Apple in too? Well, that was uh, that was way later. That was when Steve came back in '97. Yeah. The 150 million dollar bailout. Yep. Yep. But uh, they kept the stock can... from that. They'd be rich. <laughs> Sorry, as but... you guys can tell, we're already talking about our fond computer memories. But let's narrow them down to the Coco back in the days. And I think I'm going to call on Bruce. I mean, I mean not Bruce. Um, yeah, Bruce Moore, go ahead. You got your hand up. Thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> um, I was thinking about memories. I thought, what what would I share? And I uh, I I pulled up the first newsletter of my computer club, and uh, I just flipped it open here to see it because this is where we're talking about the coco. The coco was new because this was dated. The newsletter was dated '82, but it gives a little bit of history. And um, so it, it, it appears here that we did, uh, we sold pens and had bottle drives, you know, when you could return bottles for, for exchange and some membership fees. And we raised enough money in the spring of 81 to make a down payment on a 4K color computer with cassette recorder. So that was, that was the big move because until that point, the club didn't actually own a computer. There were, I think maybe three or four guys who had uh, model three, model threes i guess it was maybe there's a model one in there too so they would pack it all up and bring it down to the library and set it up and we we would get to see these computers so that was you know so so we're we're really making a move here and we got and that i have that 4k coco that ended up with me in in the end um and then i um, when i just look down here it looks like uh in december of 81 the club voted to upgrade the computer to 32k of ram with extended color basic but I don't know if you guys remember this, 32K RAM was in short supply. We couldn't actually get it. Anybody remember what that was about, why that was? Wasn't the whole bad chip, 64K chip thing going on or what? No, probably a factory burned down is usually. Factory burned down is usually what was the problem, right? Usually, yeah. Right, so then, uh, so we couldn't actually do that upgrade or I'd be have a 32K <laughs> extended color basic computer instead of the old 4K. Yeah, well, back, back back in the days with uh, you're talking about not being able to get the memory. Yeah, people were speculating on memory as a commodity, and they would buy up entire supplies of memory and then dish them out and make tremendous amount of money. And I, year after year, I kept seeing the same thing. Mm. In America, memory dropped in price right about April mm -hmm. because these guys had to sell off stock. To pay their income tax, ah, and so the, the more money, man. the higher the memory went up during the previous six months, the more stock got sold, and the more it dropped. It really uh, would drop quite a bit. It would be very volatile. Uh, basically, memory that was running at four hundred dollars could drop down below a hundred. Wow! In yeah. April. So now, there was a separate, if, like if you're in the Coco 3 era, the late 80s, there was, uh, I can't remember when exactly that was. I remember that was when Burke and Burke started selling the quarter make because there was a huge fire or something. And one of the main manufacturing places in Japan for RAM basically burned to the ground. And RAM became exceedingly expensive and also hard to get industry-wide. So the prices went up and that's when uh, Burke and Burke introduced the 256K upgrade because they could keep the price down to what the old 512K was. 
and a lot of the programs would run with 256 that supposedly needed 512. Mm. So that was, I think it lasted maybe six months to a year until the, you know, the factory was rebuilt. Right. And we're back to yeah, normal. What yeah. you're referring to was, that was the earthquake in Kobe, uh, Japan. And it was a resin that there's only two plants in the planet that actually made it. So when that was destroyed, that was when you had the huge shortage of uh, the memory chips. Yeah, there, there's been many shortages because of plants burning down, earthquakes taking out supplies of manufacturing. It's, it's been a volatile industry, pun yeah. intended. <laughs> uh, but the, um, the thing is, even back in those days, you know, like in the color computer, I remember working at Datasoft and we also had other companies that are associated with me and one the, with our company. And one of them uh, dealt with memory chips and supplies. They were involved in the commodity exchange uh, type of thing going on. And then we also had a retail outlet that sold, sold this stuff. And one day we got raided by the feds. And we had to step away from our desk while the feds searched with their search warrants for the memory chips that were part of the uh, uh, speculation. And they opened up the drawer to my desk and they found these EPROMs in there. And the guy acted like he just found gold. <laughs> it's, it's like he got the big, the big bag of cocaine or something, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, he looked at me like he was ready to put handcuffs on me. Got you. Yeah. We got you. <laughs> and then, well, they called over the boss, and the boss looks at it, and he pulls out a picture of what the chips are looking for. No, this is not it. These chips are are are, are too big because they were looking for little dims. And yeah. no, actually, you were just like flicking your hand, saying these are not the chips you're looking for. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Exactly. And, and, and the funniest thing was, in the bottom of the drawer, underneath a bunch of other stuff was some 64k memory chips that they were looking for. <laughs> so I was kind of sweating anyway, so. <laughs> Truth comes but, out. Yeah, but, uh, but so those 64 chips like were regular chips. But the thing is, in this investigation, they were thinking that anybody that had these chips was part of these people that were doing um, uh, illegal uh speculating and stuff mm -hmm. like that so it's mm -hmm. just the federal government had weird things they were doing back then they mm. still do yeah <laughs> well never heard of that one that's interesting yeah. scam there so yeah. uh, i've got just a little more on this yeah uh, some, some interesting numbers here so uh uh there was a business meeting then called about what to do about this in uh, april of 82 and there's a, we've got a set of eight options for what we should do instead of buying that, that upgrade. And, mm -hmm. and there are prices here too, so this will be interesting. So option one was just wait for the 32K memory and extended uh, basic ROM, which would have been, these are now, these are Canadian dollars, okay? That would have been $380. We could instead upgrade just to 16K with the extended basic for $320, so it was a difference of 60 bucks. Uh, we could just go ahead and purchase a second computer, a second Cocoa One with 32K and extended color basic for 900. Uh, we could bypass all that, get a printer for 500 or a disk drive 
but you'd have to have 16K for the disk drive. So we'd have to get that in the drive and that'll be 800. Uh, a word processing pack. This was apparently the new thing, a cartridge. What, what would that, that have been in 82? Scripts it? I, yeah, I scripts know. it. Probably, yeah. yeah. That was 50 bucks. And then uh, uh, number seven was a, a good black and white TV as opposed to a black and white TV for a hundred bucks or a 12 inch color TV for $500. So those were the options we were faced, uh, we were with at that time. And I, uh, I honestly can't remember what we ended up doing. <laughs> we didn't get the upgrades. Um, we may have ended up getting a VIC-20 at some point. I, I'm sorry to say, but <laughs> I know that did happen somewhere down the road. So anyway, those are, those are my early, just some early memories from, uh, you know, which are, I didn't really remember until I, I pulled out this old newsletter. So. Yeah. There it is. Cool. It was, I've it got was, a fairly lengthy one, but I'll let other people go first. Cause I, I, was, I just wanted to add one thing. People don't remember just how costly it was to do things back there. Oh, yeah. When you consider that you could get a uh, 50 cent hamburger back at McDonald's back in the day, and I'm talking a good big one. Yeah, and these prices, of course, these are, you know, from 82. So I don't know what, you know, adjusted today's dollars. It's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. yeah. I remember in Canada, the 4K Cocoa One when it was first announced was $549. Wow. And down the States, it was 400 for 4K. Yeah. Mm. And what's the adjustment for that? What does it come out to? Like 1500 or something or more? That's got to be at least that, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Shocking. But Massive true. 4K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember well, what, yeah, uh, uh, I remember talking to my boss is saying, I need two Cocos to do my work. And I had to spend over a half hour justifying to him how I was writing the program on one and transferring it to the other one so I didn't have to keep saving and loading it to cassette. And it was nuts trying to convince him of that. <laughs> well, I bet your productivity went way up, though. Oh, yeah. Like the speed you could put stuff out. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Uh, I heard somebody... Uh, saying something. Yeah, I was going to mention my one of my fondest memories of uh, of the cocoa was uh, back in the early eighties when the when these little grey case beauties uh, were on the market, brand new. And um, talking of four K, well, this was a sixteen K one. But um, the story behind um, acquiring. This particular one, this exact one I've got behind me, that's my original one from the early 80s. Um, I was into, uh, before that I was into Z80 systems. I was into programming of the Australian computer called the Micro B and the Dick Smith System 80, um, which had a Z80 process, or Z80 as you guys say. Um, Let's go. <laughs> oh, you're right, it's Z80. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, Z80, that's how I say it. Yeah. Come on, Marilla. So, Oh, Come on, All these foreigners and their right. weird pronunciation of English. Uh, <laughs> Come on, let's go. Outside, right? Sorry, how oh. do you spell color again? <laughs> what's what's color, right? <laughs> what have I triggered here? What's going on here? This Grant <laughs> is letting like, out his dog. Oh, the, internet, right. the internet has to I... know, but at least he's not in the bathroom. Well, we have, <laughs> we, have the answer, we have the answer to who let the dogs out. 
I thought it might have been, I've just been eating Subway cookies and I thought someone might have put some LSD in them or something and I started tripping. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> um, good. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, getting back to the uh, story of how I acquired this, this particular one, um, I, I'd seen the ads for the, for the color computer. I thought, oh, color, wow. And, you know, 6809 processor and everything. And it was like, oh, I really, really, really want one of these TRS-80s. This looks so cool. And, you know, being a geeky teenager at the time. And, um, and mum and dad were really supportive of my whole journey into computing and everything. And they thought it was great that I was really interested in it and, you know, getting into the programming side of things and all the rest of that. And, and so I remember one day I was in the car with dad and uh, we started talking about the computers and, and uh, what I was, you know, programs I was writing and stuff. And, and he said to me, he says, oh, you want to go around and get a TRS-80? You want one? We'll go around and we'll, we'll turn the car around and we'll go back into Tandy and we'll get you one right now. And I, I, my jaw nearly hit the floor. I thought, are you serious? Wow. And, and so, yeah, he, dad literally turned the car around and we drove back to Tandy Electronics and parked out the front and came home with this uh, shiny new uh, 16K at the time, TRS-80 with its chiclet keyboard and uh, yeah, which I then upgraded to 64K in, in not long after and, and put a proper Coco 2 keyboard in it, which it's still got now. And uh, yeah, that was my entry into the into the TRS-80 and it's still working now with Ed Snyder's uh, Coco VGA and uh, the Coco SDC on the side and yeah, who would have guessed? Yeah. 40 years later, I'm still using it. Did it have extended basic initially? Yes, it did. Yeah, 16K extended color basic. So, so you didn't have to retype the command lines over and over again, or the basic lines over and over again. You could edit them. Yeah, yep, 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 mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, I remember the color Love basic it. horror days when you had to retype everything, especially when you're trying oh to my gosh. a 4K machine. So you got 250 characters crammed in there, one typing booth mistake. Yeah, retype yeah, 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 yeah. David, I have, yeah. A, I have a question for you, David. Yeah. David, do you suppose that your father had already decided on this and was just kind of stringing you along with questions and stuff and then uh, made it into a big event like that, possibly? In hindsight, in hindsight probably no doubt, knowing Dad. Yeah. <laughs> he was just waiting for an opportunity to do that. So, yeah, I, that would not surprise me in the slightest. Yeah, that sounds great. Mm. Um, yeah, it made my day. I come home and unpacked it and I'm sitting there and started writing programs on it instantly and mum and dad couldn't get me off it. Oh, it's tea time. Oh, hang on, I just want to try this. And <laughs> yeah, it, was, it became addictive and it still is. <laughs> and Rick Adams, it looks like you had a couple of things you wanted to say there too. Yeah. So. Sure, absolutely. Um, when I first got my first color computer, uh, we had just moved. And so my kids were having a lot of trouble in school, you know, kind of fitting in because they were the new kids in town. And, uh, uh, they didn't really know how to relate to the people in their classrooms. And we got an Atari system, you know, an Atari game system, Atari uh, VCS. And so, you know, we had all some game cartridges for that. And all of a sudden, uh, my sons could fit in at school because they were like, oh, you're playing this game? Yeah, we're playing that too. Oh, well, how do you get to this level? You know, so they were able to deal with that. And then uh, when I got the color computer, all of a sudden, not only did they have a game system at home, but they had two game systems, and one of them had a bunch of games, you know, had games that were written by me and my friends. So then they can go to say, you know, not only are we playing these same games that you're playing, but we also are playing these other games 
that our dad did. Rockstar! Like, Whoa! <laughs> yeah. And they would have me go to um, their school, and I would like we would like videotape uh, us playing the games, and then we would uh, you know go. Uh, it, was, it was sort of like you know bring, bring your dad to school, and what does he do for a living? And oh, he writes video games, and all the kids are like, whoa. Um, and uh so we 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 show those and that's that's how we got the uh the gameplay video for uh for bomb threat when bomb threat was lost forever uh you know we uh, my kids remembered that we had uh one of those videos that they had brought to school that had them playing bomb threat and various other things you know plus we got to you know we were basically beta testers for all of dale lear's games so we got you know but double back and baseball and stuff like that so uh i don't really remember uh what i programmed on it before you know i mean i, I must have put in some basic programs or something but uh uh before you know the, the big deal was when i got an edit sm plus cartridge and started uh programming my own games so uh i do remember when i got the you know we had to get like the cheapest color computer you could get which is like 4k and so I sat down with a rainbow magazine and said, well, let me try typing in, you know, this basic program. And I got about three quarters done with that. And it said out of memory. And I said, well, it sucks. You know, <laughs> so I, 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 I had friends that knew, you know, hardware and they told me how you would, you know, well, you could uh, piggyback, you know, the piggyback technique for putting on more memory. So you take your existing memory chips and then you just solder a bunch of, memory chips of the same size on top of those. And then there was one address line that you would, you know, bend up and, and solder into someplace else. And I actually knew how to solder and I was somewhat good at, at hardware. So I did that with, uh, uh, because I, I didn't feel really confident with my soldering ability. So it's like, well, let me just solder another set of 4K chips on top of these. So for a while I had an 8K color computer. 8K, that's something. 8K, yeah, and and then I did it, you know, for real with you know more chips than you know more more storage than that. So that's my story. Now back in those days, it was experiment, you know, you know, costly to experiment. You know, if you went wrong, you lost that uh, money you just invest in that 4K and the 4K that was on the machine. Yeah, RAM chips were expensive back then too. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it was real expensive. Yeah. I remember when I did the 64K upgrade on mine. It was like a, a, the thing that took me the longest was was saving the money to get the to buy the chips. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm trying to remember what the 16K, like the four to 16K, where you just basically replace the 4004 or 40, whatever that was, 04s with the 4116s. And it was, I think, in Canada, it was like when it first got released, it was almost $200 just for 16K. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at first, Radio Shack sold the. Uh, uh, upgrades and of course they had to do the upgrades themselves and yeah. you never got the old memory back and then they got in trouble i think actually somebody brought a lawsuit because you could go in and buy the memory upgrade and they just simply gave it to you but if tandy installed it they had to have back the old uh, upgrades also mm -hmm. the other way tandy was selling it it was it was questionable whether you were upgrading from 4k to 32k or were you adding 32k mm. and some of the ads were were you know add 32k of memory to your coco 
That's a bit different than going from four to 32K. Or 16. Well, you are or 16. After you track the rest. Yeah. <laughs> but you're, you're not getting, um, you know, no. uh, 36K out of the deal. You're getting 32K. Upgrade to 32K. Exactly. Now, yeah. The reason they did that, um, uh, they didn't, most of the shops didn't return it is because some customers didn't really care or, or they didn't even know. But what the shops would do is when they kept that, the, the other memory, they would include it in their inventory. So when it came around inventory time, uh, the auditing, those chips would show up and it would be, they would, it would be considered an inventory gain. So let's say that you did like 10, 16 uh, upgrades from 4K to 16K and you had 10 sets of those 4K chips you counted all those and let's say that there were $5 each and times five. Mm -hmm. So you would get that, you would get that as an inventory gain on your uh, balance sheet at the end. You didn't get any additional money, but what some shops would do is like, Oh, okay. I got like a $400 gain, you know, in, in you know, in their mind. So sometimes they would swipe $400 worth of parts out of the, out of the shop for their own machines. Mm -hmm. I, I I can't tell you where you know I I I don't know firsthand would some somebody would ever do something like that because one of the first uh, computers I owned with Radio Shack that I actually paid for was a Color Computer Two, and it was a 16K. But when I walked out of it that night, it was a 64K with extended basic, and it didn't cost me anything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the feeling that a lot of people had is that Tandy was keeping the memory upgrades and reusing them. Uh, in mm -hmm. some cases, they did. So, you know, let's say, for example, uh, some people went from 16K to 32K or 64K, um, and we kept the 16K chips, and you know, some people went from 4K to 16K, or let's say that someone brought in a repair and they had a bad 16K chip. Well, we would use one of the used chips course because it was exactly now, now what really uh bit uh some people in the behind uh the shops was some of them kept accumulating all these 4k chips i mean they literally had thousands of them and after a while what happens is if you don't use these chips uh in, in store it would say the system wide they had different categories of of each item uh, category was one was something that was used almost every day. Category six was something that had not been used in over two years. And so when you did an inventory, any any parts that were called cat six, uh, you had to destroy and you actually lost money off of them. So when the 4K chips finally became category six, there was some shops that lost three, four thousand, up to five thousand dollars in in inventory loss because they could no longer count those chips. It'd be a category six hurricane, sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it was hilarious when that happened. Oh. Uh, in our shop, it didn't really affect us because we never counted those chips. Or, and I didn't either. I just say, this is kind of useless uh, to have those chips on hand. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, what would you do with them? <laughs> who, who would want? 
4K chips, really. When you yeah, nobody wanted them. I mean, basically, yeah. we just stuffed them, you know, in, in a in a drawer, and some people had them in boxes. I mean, it was you there know might it was be a few 4K machines that need a replacement, but yeah, that'd be very oh, that, that was so rare. Uh, yeah, they just go to 16K. Yeah. Yeah. Or 64. Right. You know, you're reminding me of, um, you know, how Radio Shack talked about, you know, they're very careful. This should only be installed by, you know, certified blah, blah, blah. You know, it really, <laughs> I mean, it really, really scared you, you know, mm -hmm. and then that sticker on the bottom, right? You know, warranty. Boy, the warranty right? yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was terrified of all that. And uh, it's like, oh my goodness, I wouldn't dare do something like that. But then my buddy lived up the street who, uh, who had a cocoa, Glenn. For some reason, he wasn't terrified. And he, uh, he ordered the uh, extended color basic, I guess it was. So he must have had at least 16K in his cocoa. He ordered the chip. And um, like, I come over one day and he's got all these new commands. Like, what'd you do? Well, I ordered the chip and I put it in. I said, you what? <laughs> well, how did you do that oh my goodness is well i just i opened it up you broke it yeah i broke the sticker i opened it up and I looked around because we didn't have any clue what computers looked like on the inside right he said i looked around i saw the spot that looked like thought oh, probably looks like well that's where it goes so then he just he said i just popped it in and that was it and i was like Whoa. yeah yeah we we <laughs> loved we loved it when it when when yeah. uh, unit, see uh, when we had to do when we repaired units they 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 uh, they measured us by how many units per hour you would produce, and they were looking for at least one unit per hour, minimum. So when a color computer came in with extended basic upgrade, oh, we everybody was jumping at it. I mean, it was because it was just such an easy. It was one of the easiest upgrades. But then when it was a Coco One and they wanted to do a 32K upgrade, that was when it was a nightmare because. You had to make so many cuts in, and especially the D board and C board. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah the D board. You just like, oh no, you know. <laughs> and and I, we, I know up here in Canada, most of the D boards they didn't bother upgrading. They just swapped an E or an F. Yeah. Yeah, and, mine's a mine's an E board. It was so it was reasonably easy. Yeah, and the problem with that with those thirty two K chips that they I, mean, I don't know what Tandy was was up to. They had either they bought these defective because they had a high bank and a low bank uh where they where they were disabled but after a while they there was so much confusion with those that they just decided well we're just gonna not we're gonna do away with those and we're gonna make them 64k but we never told the customer that you know especially in the coco ones they would come mm -hmm. in and get a 32k upgrade even though it was 64k and then when all of a sudden when os9 came out uh, some people would put it in. It didn't work because they only had 32K. Well, back in the days for the 32K of memory, it was the fact that they were able to buy banks of them cheaply because the manufacturers made 64K memories mm -hmm. and there was a defective bit. Right. And these yep. would be trashed. And right. of course, if their effective effect bits are in one bank and not the other, Tandy could use them. And Tandy wasn't the only one selling 32 upgrades, but Tandy with the Cocoa was notorious for it. Right. Yeah, my e-board had the, uh, the the jumpers for, for 32K upper or lower or 64K. And yeah. that was the one thing I did have to do when I upgraded it from 16 was, was put the jumpers in the right spot. But that was really easy compared to upgrading a D-board or something like that. 
Yeah, Barry Thompson at Tandy admitted that they were getting the 32K memory chips for less than 25% of the cost of a 64K memory chip. And so, I have an, yeah. so I have an addendum to my story, which mm -hmm. is that uh, a little bit later at work, uh, I was an applications programmer and I really wanted to get into the systems department because I wanted to do operating system stuff. And uh, yeah, they had this project where they wanted to do a, a 68,000, you know, Motorola 68,000 uh, version of the operating system. And Dale Lear said, you know, we got a guy that does uh, 6809 process uh, uh, coding. Uh, that's Rick Adams. And uh, that's the little brother to the 68,000. So why don't we bring him on board? So so that got, got me my big break at work. Mm. There's a little difference between the 6809, 68,000 as in lots of registers. Hush. Yeah. <laughs> That's least, all in the right Indian order. <laughs> the managers don't need to know the details. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's made by the same manufacturer. There you go. Yeah. It starts with 68 and it's got an O in it. It's got 68 in it. <laughs> what they don't know won't hurt them. Yeah, I can tell you some of the, the other fond memories I had. Uh, when working for Radio Shack, what was the huge advantage is, you know, we got to, you know, I got to repair all kinds of machines. So I knew firsthand which machines were good, you know, as far as a hardware point of view and which ones were junk and I would avoid. And I didn't really, I wasn't really a big fan of the Coco one and it's because of that upgrade. Uh, and also, I didn't really care for the chiclet keyboard. But when the Coco 2 came out, that's that's when I, you know, decided to go ahead and buy one. The other thing is, I didn't like the the first generation disk drives. Those are the 26322s with the i 35 track tech. Ones. Yeah, the 35 track tech drive, and it had that like spindle type camshaft garbage, and didn't really care for it. So when the next one came out, uh, I I had bought that one. But well, the, but the biggest advantages when when it came to the software is, you know, I could actually go into you know our our repair shops were in the back of the computer stores, and we could go up front talk to the manager or someone like that and get you know take something off the shelf and copy it, and get to play with it at home, which was kind of cool, except for Sands of Egypt, which I actually had to buy because some. I don't know who it was, the author decided to put some kind of copy projection scheme on it, which you know, <laughs> kind of ruined it for me. Just keeping ah, honest. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and Sans Vito Tech to use the 20 millisecond track to track too, which uh, yeah. was the fastest that first generation drive could handle. Right. I can't remember who it was, but somebody who is known for doing cracks of uh, yeah. color computer games sent me an email once saying, you know, you're just no fun because all your games don't have any copy protection on them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and when it came to Sands of Egypt, what was uh, kind of cool about it, I mean, I, I was getting frustrated with, uh, with uh, trying to solve it that I finally, you know, we, we got to call, we, you know, we could call tech support and I got through the software, and of course, I was asking for hints for Sands of Egypt. 
<laughs> tip line. Yeah, it was the tip line. They gave me all the tips. Because I was trying to find this axe. And I say, like, where is this axe at? Oh, it's on top of the pyramid. Oh, okay. Oh, that's where it is. Brown. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Now I know. Yeah. So did Tandy have any guidelines or requests or policies no. about a copy protection no. programs? Like whether you should put them in or put it in? Tandy or... had their own copy protection system for this because they want to make sure they could duplicate them. So Sands mm -hmm. of Egypt and all the other things that I sold through them use their form of copy protection. And um, Zaxxon though, they never bought the disc version. And matter of fact, the Zaxxon was actually manufactured by Datasoft. So the way everything was done was under Datasoft's control. But uh, all the other disc games that I sold, were their protection system, which I thought was a bit of crap. <laughs> Shanghai was supposed to have copy protection. They kept saying, "Now you're going to add pro copy protection." I said, "Oh yes, oh yes." You know, yeah, you, you haven't added that. You know, when are you going to add that? Oh, soon, soon. And eventually, they just forgot all about it, and you know, and then <laughs> that didn't happen, which was fine with me. So, yep, and that's why Bill Noble managed to port it to OS nine pretty easily. <laughs> mm hmm. See, copy protection, when it works well, it has multiple levels where it's checking to see, did somebody try and defeat my protection? Then there's code to see if somebody tried to defeat that. And you just keep going. In the case of Sands of Egypt, there was about five levels, and they would happen later in the game. So you would think you broke the copy protection, and then all of a sudden you die. Hmm. So it took them a little while to break it. Yeah. Stevie Stroy, I see you've got your video active here. Did you want to pipe in there too? Yeah. Yeah, I'm raising, raising my hand. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have I have tons of fun memories, but I'll try to get some, some bullet points. So obviously the first fun memory would be actually getting the cocoa, you know. Um, so I think I was hanging out in the Radio Shack, you know, since the TRS-80 before it was even called the Model 1. So I had a couple of years of just kind of drooling over monochrome uh, systems. And when the Coco first came out in 1980, uh, I wasn't even old enough to work to make any money to buy it. So it wasn't until 1981 where I could start working because at that time the legal minimum age was 14. And there was only one place I would hire you at 14. Everybody else wanted you to be 15. So I got hired at 14 to save the money to buy the Coco. And I don't remember how long it took, but I just remember bringing it home you know i had the 16k silver coco one with color basic a cassette player and two joysticks and that was my entry into coconuts you know so that i can say the first fond memory is just bringing home that first coco and i think i ended up getting like probably like pyramid uh on cassette you know text adventure game no cartridges or anything so even that that was pretty cool just getting that and, um, and one of the things like what Bruce was saying, you know, I, I didn't understand anything about hardware. Uh, so it was not only was it like a mystery, but part of it too was kind of like you felt really loyal to your store managers and sales guys because they let you hang out there for years as a snotty kid playing with the machine. So mm -hmm. I, want, I wanted to, if I could, let the store upgrade my computer. Um, but it was just, it just so happened on this one uh, evening, we were visiting a friend's house. They, they, they also had a Coco, and um, they were playing Donkey King. 
and I saw Donkey King, I was like, oh man, I gotta have this. I wanna play this. Cause at the time, like the ColecoVision was the gold standard for home Donkey Kong. And this blew it away. And I was like, well, what, you know, I don't have 32K. And up until that moment, if anybody had offered, if any stranger said, say, I'll put memory in your computer, I would have been like, no, back off, back off, you know. But, you know, the guy's dad is like, oh, I can add 32K to your computer. And I was like, well, dude, Donkey King, 32K, make it so, number one, you know. So I just <laughs> let the stranger open up my computer and put the RAM in there because I wanted to play that game so bad, you know. So a uh, couple, couple of my quickest, fondest memories. And then obviously... Uh, uh, at that point, you're able to play Zaxxon again. So now we had two games that rivaled the ColecoVision, which was kind of the gold standard. So the ColecoVision Donkey Kong and the ColecoVision Zaxxon were uh, the ultimate home arcade experience. And then the Coco had two games that rivaled both of those. So that was kind of pretty proud of that. If I can just add one thing that you said there, Stevie, I still think that the Zaxxon on the ColecoVision looked better than mine. It might have looked, it might have been more colorful, but I think the Cocoa version played a lot better. It was smoother and more responsive. Yeah, I remember the Apple II version, I mean, had a bit more color, I think, but it, it didn't play anywhere near as well. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys had NTSC, so it looked really good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, black and white for us. <laughs> oh, look, I'm flying over a checkerboard. Yeah, all the P-made four black and white patterns. <laughs> Now it's like, do I make the game for the large American market or do I make it for a micro market? I think I'll stick with the American market. USA. <laughs> well, it's also we a fact, I mean, what were your choices of palettes if you did want to? I mean, we've seen what it looks like on, you know, the yeah. pastel-y looking. Yeah, I kind of don't want to think too much about it because, you know, I got to have lunch later. I want to be able to enjoy it. <laughs> I didn't even have, I did, we didn't even know what artifact colors were over here. Yeah. We'd never even heard of artifact colors. Uh, I actually <laughs> did get some artifacting. I believe I may have had a, uh, sorry, an NTSC computer because I had six or seven of them, Cocos. Oh, wow. Okay. So I did get some which, which did have the blue and the red. Mm. And just sometimes the red was more orange. Yeah. So well, I that's all based. It was it's all because of your tint adjustment. NTSC, never the same color. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> How perfect at last. <coughs> <laughs> Back in the seventies, when the late night talk shows come on, they had these nice modern suits with had all these checkers and stripes oh. on them, and they oh, were yeah. a rainbow pattern. Yep. <laughs> Johnny Carson would wear that suit once and then he had to buy <laughs> another one and then he would wear it once and after going through a week of this he finally realized he can't wear those black and white suits. Yeah, get a real wrap over the knuckles from the TV executives. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm. <laughs> you have to. 
I don't know what happened. <laughs> it fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> screws came out. I was playing it and the screws just worked their way loose automatically. <laughs> I was playing hard, I tell you. Yeah. I came home. I came home from college and uh, I had a Coco 3 at that time, but we had a Coco 2 at home and my little brother went, yeah, the Coco isn't working anymore. Oh, let's take a look. And I go and it's in the bottom of his closet in pieces everywhere. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Well, my uh, friends would always come to me because not only could I open up the computer and knew where everything was, I had the way to open up the computer and have the warranty sticker still intact. <laughs> I grabbed my sister's hair dryer <laughs> and melted the glue. I mean, it was like, but the thing is, I knew how. See, if you just did average, you could tell that it had been peeled off. No, no, no. I knew how to get it up so it never looked like it was removed. Yeah, you just slide it. Once the glue started to melt, you just slide it over across away from the screw hole. And... Oh, no, no. It stayed on the screw hole. A few of my friends had me move it off to the other side, away from the screw hole, but they wanted to make sure they could take it back to Radio Shack under warranty. Oh, because <laughs> what we did is we just melted enough to slide it over. You get inside, do whatever you're doing, then melt it again to slide it back over top the hole. And then, yeah, we never opened it. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, I, I even had a better advantage than all of you guys because I actually had the warranty stickers. There you go. I got a 12 pack right here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> hey Richard, did they did they ever come out with a warranty sticker where you had to sign it or something? I seem to remember that. Yeah, on on the repair ones you did, it, you would have to put the shop number and the date and then your initials. Um, they used to have the warranty the repairs inside the case, but then they moved away from that. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. a pretty common thing in repair circles. I've worked as a service tech for, for quite a few years, so radio tradesman, TV repair tech. And um, yeah, it was, it was quite common to have um, the tech that was working on something sign. Uh, it was like a quality control thing, just to, to say that you'd done the job properly, basically. Yeah, we also had a, a, a ticket that we had to sign or fill out with the part numbers and everything. And then we also had a log book that we had to fill out to show you know how many units per hour that we were doing well let's see uh mark and um grant they've been pretty quiet why don't we go to mark and have you tell us about your first experiences mark over mark d uh mark over oh okay uh well i, I i'm new to the coco um my my first coco was a coco three it was brand new in box I got it from this guy I knew who had an Apple II Platinum that he was getting rid of. This was like 2012, so it's only been like seven years. Anyway, so he had this whole Apple II Platinum with a monitor. I think this may be the monitor, actually, and uh, disk drives and a whole bunch of games. And he said, oh, I also got this other thing. It was for a correspondence course. It came with the cassettes, and it's this, this color computer. And so I got this color computer. It's like, hmm, well, you know, I never was into the color computer, but, you know, you know, this, oh, that's right. This is the one that doesn't have the V80, which I don't really like. It has the 6809. I think I'll hang on to that. Well, since then, I've got uh, another Coco 2 and a Coco 2 and a Coco 1 and, um, and another Coco dragon. 2 and, and a drag, Cano Dragon, which, by the way, its stickers were already peeling up when I got it. It's really easy to open it up and <laughs> mess with it. <laughs> Strangely enough, after 30 years. And, 
uh, what else do we get? Oh yeah, I got a couple MPIs. We got a couple of uh, Cocoa SDCs now. So all my Cocoa stuff is actually new. So unfortunately, not very exciting. But anyway, mm. yeah, I'm into the Cocoa now. How about you, Grant? How about you? How did you get into the Cocoa side of things here? Uh, it was in 1985. I actually had a friend of mine who was who had an Apple II seed that he we'd always play computer games on. So uh, I told my parents for my birthday present, I want to get a computer. So at that time, we lived in a smaller city in Chillicothe. We had to drive 100 miles to Kansas City. And uh, I remember we went to the, uh, I think it was KB Toy Store stores. Uh, anyways, they had Ataris and all the other computers up there. And for some reason, I remember that it's like, let's go over to Radio Shack. I just want to see what they got. And that's when we got sold on the, uh, it was a Coco 2 16K standard basic. And uh, I remember we got that, the uh, Black Beauties and uh, Double Back was my first game. So that's how I got, got involved into it. Then several years later, I got the 64K. And then uh, I think a couple years after that, I got the Coco 3. But one of my fondest memories, and Steve's not going to like this, was uh, you guys remember Pen Pals in the Rainbow Magazine? Mm. And I remember I would write to all these Pen Pals, and you would just get flooded with all these copyrighted games that would be sent to you in the mail and of course you just trade among all your pen pal friends so that was a lot of fun i remember running out to the mailbox every day you know trying out the new games and everything so i had a lot of pen pals at that time and how old would you have been during this time uh what that would, i would have been in sixth seventh grade so uh probably what 12 13 years old that sounds like mail fraud <laughs> <laughs> we've had a few illicit com uh confessions in this uh, segment today well luckily <laughs> we have statue of limitations so uh, nobody can come after me now about it yeah Did you say statue of limitations <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess like no, it's not me it's not me someone else did it <laughs> we, we, we've talked about piracy before and i think one thing that a, a few of us have said like when you're a young kid and you don't have income it's really hard to save up for a game so i yeah i mean that's not a sale i think that was lost per se now, if you're a teenager, you know, that already had a paper or something like that, that's a different story. You could afford them. But a lot of us, there was no way to make money and parents were going to spend 40 bucks. Yeah, on but the other thing on that subject, too, is, OK, that's true. If you have to have 30 games, that's a lot of money. But the thing is, you know, so you pirate the game saying I'd never buy these 30 games. But the thing is, you could probably afford to buy one. Well, yeah. some of us but they never do. Yeah, some of us just had to become programmers and make our own. That's how we did it. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I did. Yep, 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 yep. I had a program packs. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I had the, the, the legit ones. Mum and Dad actually, fortunately, yeah, like I was saying earlier on. I couldn't afford them on a paper, like the little tiny paper that I had. It would take me months to save up for one cartridge. And I had to get joystick, yeah, yeah. the more important things. <laughs> yeah, same here. That's why I was really thankful to Mum and Dad that were supporting both you know, my own programming side of things but also you know they would um you know buy us um, birthday and christmas presents you know computer programs and and, and and cartridge packs like um stellar lifeline was one of my favorites back in the day and i had the cartridge cartridge is probably still sitting around here somewhere but i can't oh, find I have it. that cartridge yeah mm. but so. see you know like i'd go to a computer club meeting and some people you know yes. that would pirate they'd keep it kind of quiet or whatever but then you have these kids coming up and they're talking back and forth ha, ha look at this game and i didn't have to pay for it ha ha yeah i'm sorry i just saw in chat that angus nimble was asking 
the original 16K Coco 2 had extended basic. I remember mine has standard basic. I ran to the, no, the, the very first Coco 2s came both as extended or standard. That was the melted keyboard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. It was just the price difference. Hey guys, can you hear my audio? It's Lodric. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just, it's, it's funny because oh. talking about Stellar Lifeline, uh, we had that, my, my dad, I, I don't know if it was a gift um, or just because they had it on sale, but uh, he came home with Stellar Lifeline uh, one day and that, it's a simple game, but it was so much fun. And uh, just yeah. listening to all the different stories about, you know, piracy and games and stuff. I remember, you know, getting a magazine of some sort and, you know, reading about games like, Le uh, what was it, Legend of Zelda and like the Contras and all those sort of Nintendo clone type of games. And at the time, I had friends that had like actual Nintendos and I played the you know, original games. And I, but, you know, I didn't have one of my own. So I was like, so jealous. And then I would see these uh, ports for the Coco. I'd be like, oh, man, I, I wish, I wish so much I could get that game. Um, but you know, it'd be like 50 bucks or 60 bucks. Mm -hmm. And I was just maybe, you know, 11, 12 years old. So like for me, like that was like a, you know, a million dollars, no way I could afford that. Um, but, uh, you know, my dad occasionally would, would get, um, you know, stuff like down downland, I think was the first game we got. And I had, I spent countless hours playing that game, uh, tons of fond memories uh, of that. And, um, and he, you know, he would pick up some some stuff here and there. But man, some of those really fancy games, uh, Steve, like Zaxxon. I never got to experience Zaxxon um, when I was a kid um, because, uh, you know, I just didn't have access to the, to the good stuff, I guess. Well, even back then, those games, I don't ever remember seeing a Coco game that was fifty or sixty dollars. I think the most really? expensive one was about forty, hmm. and that could have been Zaxxon. I yeah, thought it was um, thirty-five. They marked stuff down, and lots of things were on sale at Radio Shack. That's why. Yeah, yeah, later. But no, later, I'm yeah. talking about the list price. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah. don't remember. I mean, here in Canada, a lot of the cartridges were forty dollars. Yeah, huh. it's just that later. Yeah, okay. The productivity, Tandy felt they could charge more for those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like and I'm probably not. Rem I'm probably not remembering accurately too, because you know, when you're 11 or 12, <laughs> 30 bucks might seem like a lot of money. Yeah. 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 Like I know when I got yeah. my first Coke, my my Coco One, and I the first cartridges I got as, as presents, um, I think were Skiing. And Project Nebula, I think, the first ones I got. That those were Christmas presents, because basically at that time I made I think 50 cents a week, as an allowance, and then I had a. a weekly paper paper route that maybe earned me a buck a week or something <laughs> so i mean to buy a single cartridge at 40 dollars, i mean i was saving for half a year for that so it was like no I just, yeah yeah and i did feel guilty like literally i did pirate a lot of steve stuff in the early to mid 80s uh because i just couldn't afford them and uh, you know i couldn't you know press mom and dad you know buy me every game in the catalog <laughs> <laughs> when I started going to Fest, and you know, by the time I was an adult and had jobs and stuff, I actually did buy almost everything from Game Point Software. I saw you at the booth a few times there, so I, I tried to make up for it. As yeah, as thank you. Coco um, Three is when I started buying games because I was older and I was able to afford it. Arkanoid was one of them. Yeah. So Nick, what about you? When was when did you first get your first Coco? Which Nick? Uh, which Nick? <laughs> Nick that's talking. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yes, I got it when I was in grade 11. 
uh, I actually had wanted an MC10, and a friend of mine talked me out of it. Smart and person. Thank him. <laughs> I thought you might thank him. And I ended up with a, I got a I got a 16k Coco one, which uh, the same friend upgraded to 64k for me, and then I got it traded on a Coco two, which I'm not sure how that happened, but I got it traded on a Coco two, and that's what I had for the most time. And then I got a Coco, and then I bought a Coco three as well when it came out. And I played a lot of games, and I play, and I programmed in basic, uh, just little, little skunk projects, little demos and stuff, just to learn basic. And uh, and I played around with Logo, and I played around with OS nine, and I played around with different things, and learned how to program. And uh, play, like I said, played a lot of games. I have Buzzer Bait running on my computer right now, which is one of my favorite games I, I had back in the day. And a lot of memories of playing, uh, playing with my sister, uh, different games, just having fun. Uh, so yeah, it was a real, uh, real part of my uh, teenage years, and uh, waiting for Rainbow Magazine to arrive every month. You don't yep. know the joy of that these days with the mm. internet and all that. But waiting for the magazine to come, and then yep. flipping through it, and it was a lot of, a lot of fun that you don't, uh, you don't necessarily understand these days with. Yeah. Well, did you remember was in its heyday and it was like 300 to 350 pages an issue? Yeah, it was so thick. And, and what uh, new games got released this month or, you know, technically? Yeah. Uh, did you spend much time typing in the games? Oh, yes. 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 Yeah, same here. Yeah, absolutely. That was a lot of fun. That that Rainbow yeah. Check and Rainbow Check Plus was lifesavers because I typed, made so many typing mistakes on that chiclet keyboard that that was one <laughs> way to type in like 10 lines, you'd run the Rainbow Check. CRC doesn't match. Okay, I know it's in these 10 lines. I got to find my error rather than typing this massive 32K program and then having an error note. You know, I'm talking. The worst Sorry. thing about that, though, was whenever they had a, a typo and you had to wait till next month for the correction <laughs> to come out. <laughs> See, as, as you get better at, at coding yourself, though, you eventually you start to pick up on that on your own. You go, oh, wait, that doesn't look right. And then you just. Yeah, yep. Yeah. You know, and that whole thing about the rainbow showing up having to wait a month and all that and that anticipation, I, I was trying to, um, with my Forest of Doom release, I was trying to tap into that old nostalgic feel there where you actually had to buy a physical book, you know, that had to come, you had to wait for it to arrive in the mail. And that was part of that nostalgic theme I was trying to catch there. You old-fashioned, yep. cruel bastard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, one, one, one that I am really anticipating is the latest edition of Rainbow Magazine. <laughs> we're still waiting for we're, we're, some of us have written articles for it. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. Keep waiting. Yep. <laughs> it's still going to happen. I just had other things I've been working on. I, um, Ron Delvo had a bunch of stuff come up, and so he couldn't be the guy putting it all together. So, Terry uh, yep, uh, Steve and I have been working on trying to learn uh, a desktop publishing software to uh, put it together. So it's still happening. It's still happening. That's cool. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Now, Jason Reichert, since I noticed you're on the call now and driving in your car, did you uh, join to wax nostalgic? Oh, I can. I can always do that. I can crack jokes too if you'd like. No, your jokes <laughs> suck. Just wax nostalgic instead. <laughs> um, Oh well, uh, the first the first Coco that we got, of course, it was it was I, I, from best recollection, it was Christmas '84, and uh, it was you know it was it was specified that it was a gift for the family. I guess that's so my brother and I could fight over it, but um, not that that helped. But um, we had a we had a Coco two. Uh, it was a American Coco two chiclet keyboard, 16k RAM, color basic. Uh, 
It must have been some type of uh, bundle because we got uh, two Black Beauty joysticks, uh, bust out, and, uh, and we also ended up with a, a CCR81 tape recorder uh, to start. And uh, I am I am happy to say that I, I, I rediscovered that Coco 2 in my parents' garage here, I don't know, a year a year or two ago, and uh, it does still kind of work. It needs a little work, but uh, we, uh, I'll get to it eventually. Oh, and we also had a, a TP10 printer, which uh, I just recently picked a couple of those up again for, for nostalgia's sake, and, and I remembered how awful they are for... Hmm. <laughs> yeah, the TP stood for toilet paper roll, if I remember correctly, didn't it? <laughs> Like the neighbors up with one of them. Oh my goodness! And the paper—I don't. At the time, the paper was—I—I was—I don't remember pricing it myself, but I know my my dad was pretty adamant that you know the paper was expensive for it, so I wasn't really allowed to print a lot. Uh, at the time, my uh, my 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 dad did some—he uh, worked in a hospital in a, a lab in a hospital, and he—he uh, he was. Uh, like I think manager of one of the departments or whatever. I don't remember the exact title, but uh, he had some things where he had to do statistical entry for work, and he would he would do that on the Coco. I believe it was actually with some type of program, either my brother coded in basic or took something else and reused it. I don't remember what he he may have talked about that before, but uh, so uh, you know Ken Senior used to do like uh, statistics, and then he would do. Uh, he would do uh, procedures uh, in, uh, in uh, I, probably my, my least favorite ROM pack of all time, a uh, color script set. <laughs> and, uh, and and he would print this stuff out on the TP10. Originally, he would he would, he would would glue stick and paste it, the regular paper, and take it into work and then photocopy it that yeah, way. Get your two columns that way. Right. Huh. And, now, he didn't uh, actually leave those on the, the dashboard in the sun, did he? Oh, no. He I don't think so. No, that they would just be brown then. They just turned black, yeah. <laughs> and, brown. Uh, or yeah, and you couldn't get them wet. That was bad too. They would turn brown. And uh, but uh, and uh, as far as the stuff I did, uh, you know, like uh, you know, I was listening earlier, and uh, Grant, you know, like Grant, I, I had two, I had two pen pals so that I, I for Rainbow. One was in Kentucky, I think, like louisville and the other fellow i believe was um the fellow named james and he was in new jersey i think newark and if i remember right the guy's name in kentucky his first name was charles so long but uh and uh we would we would we would we would trade stuff back and forth we were pretty young you know it, it was it was what happened at the time but uh a lot of good information back and forth there too but um and i you know event event Eventually, eventually, we did get the upgrade to extended color basic and 64K, and we had to send that away. And I, I don't think it was actually that long, but at the time, as a kid, it felt like an eternity waiting for that, waiting for the Coco to come back to the local Radio Shack store so we could go pick it up. And, um, and eventually, we ended up with an FG502 disk drive, and that that was just that was life changing. That's kind of the that's kind of the retro equivalent of going to the Coco SDC, life-changing, going to floppy disk. And uh, we, we uh, had a lot of fun with that. And then eventually we ended up with a Coco 3 and a CM8 and uh, all that fun stuff. But uh, uh, 
And uh, I, I was even using it into the uh, into the uh, mid '90s. I was uh, writing I was writing papers. So by that point, we had gotten like a, a DMP 133 printer. So at least we had a a more normal printer for that time period. And uh, I, I would write. I, there was a lot of stuff when I was allowed to type papers for school. I was typing them on my Coco Three. I was using uh, Simply Better, I believe it was called, and uh, nice eighty column screen word processor. I don't remember who made that, but uh, I think I, I still have it somewhere around here. Don't remember how to use it, but uh, I did a lot of that with it and just a lot of games, a lot of other things. And uh, I, I wrote a few, I wrote a few programs. Uh, I had, um, had a couple of them sold briefly by uh, Farnas Systems down in, uh, I think he was in Georgia at the time. And, uh, Eventually, those ended up. Um, I, he's like, "Oh, can I just put these in the world of 68 micros?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, go ahead." I mean, they only sold a couple copies. Like, "Yeah, go right ahead. You need material for it. That's fine. Go right ahead." And uh, and then later wrote a couple, one or two more articles for the the world of 68 micros. And uh, I think that was around that. Not too long after that, I you know I got a PC and I got out of the cocoa and and just kind of would touch base with it every once in a while. And then what about it? year and a half or two years ago I got back into it and dug everything out and fixed what had to be fixed and uh, eventually I'll get back to fixing my original Coco too it's just... yeah okay uh, what we're going to do here is we are going to take a break we're going to come back with a few last memories I've got a couple that I haven't shared that I like to there's also I've got some Australian, Australian Nick there's uh, Curtis and like that. So we're, we're going to do a few of those and then we'll wrap up the show. But for now, let's go take a break. Hello, I'm David Ladd. Thank you for watching Coco Talk, the world's leading live Coco Talk show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stroke. You know, gameplay. To get your copy of a Gameplay Goodness gameplay Color Computer Gaming DVD today, gameplay. head on over to 8bit256.com. There you will find several DVDs featuring Color Computer Gameplay videos by the Original Gamer Stevie Stroke. So to get your very own copy of a Gameplay Goodness Color Computer Gaming DVD, head on over to the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com and tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroke sent you. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. This year, I needed to give a real family pleaser. Honey, please help me with this budget. How about a new game, Dad? Please. And I found it. Radio Shack's Color Computer 2. On sale for just $99.95. It entertains, educates, manages. It's expandable and affordable. Now that really pleases me. The Color Computer 2. Sale price for Christmas. Only at Radio Shack. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tim. Playing Daggereth like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk.
from Radio Shack, the TRS-80 Model 3. And at $200 off, it's a great value. Select from Radio Shack's huge program library to aid your children's education, plan your personal and household budgets, or to entertain with fast-action games. You can even learn to write programs. The TRS-80 Model 3, on sale for $7.99, only at Radio Shack and Radio Shack Computer Centers, the computer experts. We now return you to Cocoa Talk. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, I don't know who wants to go first on the few of the memories here. We also have a little game on segment with Nick Ranties too. It's not going to be very long, but I uh, want to throw that in before the end of the show. And I think we also had uh, David O'Connor. You had the video sent, I think, for your little demo thing too for the synth. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. How long is that? How long is that one? The video is only two minutes. It's only short. So it's, okay. uh, I've actually got the, 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 the setups all behind me there to do it live. And I thought if it didn't work, we'll just play the little video because it probably do the audio a lot more justice. Okay. Anyway, before I do my little reminiscing here, did anybody else want to throw in some reminiscing memory stuff first? I can first? go real quick if you don't mind. Pardon me? I said I can go real quick if you don't mind with my quick sure. memory. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, I just, because um, we basically we started out, uh, my dad came home with a Timex Sinclair uh, one day, and I was like maybe eight or nine years old, and then like, you know, he just sort of dropped it off and went off to do his thing, and next thing, you know, you know he comes home, and I got it hooked up to the TV, I've got a, a cassette loaded, and he was like, wow, I guess this, you know, um, he kind of is into computers, and uh, that Christmas, we got a Coco 3, and I just have like, a million fond memories of that um, because, we, you know, we didn't have tons of the greatest software, but we were really fortunate uh, in terms of hardware. Cause like I, you know, I started off with a Coco 3. That was like my first computer ever. And the following Christmas, we got the uh, FD 502 disk drive. And then the Christmas after that, we had um, the, the monitor, the CM8. And finally, the even the, the printer eventually. So it, I was really spoiled in terms of hardware. Uh, so I was just, just, I just had, of course, looking forward to Christmases every year because, oh, what cool thing am I going to get this time? And I know, I know people that uh, struggled with cassette for, for ages. And, and uh, here I was um, with, uh, you know, dual density, double-sided uh, disk drive. So I was uh, really lucky and uh, just lots of memories, trying out games, punching in, uh, software from uh, Rainbow Magazine when I get my hands on that. I even had my sister sometimes sit there and read me all the data values, you know. Uh, three, oh. She had absolutely no idea what the hell they were, you know, and <laughs> thinking they're all going to be numbers too. And she'd say, well, I think this is wrong. It's like a three and an F, but but F is not a number. And I'd be like, hmm, <laughs> I'm not sure. My brother and I did that too, actually. Oh, man. <laughs> God bless my sister sitting there reading uh, hundreds of uh, hex codes. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> it's like, okay, now read it back to me. <laughs> it's like, uh, but yeah, it's just, uh, man, playing games and um, countless hours and downland and uh, competing over, uh, competing over it with my brother and sister. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's just, that's my quick memory. Cool. 
Anybody well, else? That's where the cocoa. That's where the cocoa was so educational. I mean, besides learning about the actual cocoa itself, that's where I learned, and probably many of you as well, concepts such as hexadecimal and like yeah, other skills yeah. that have carried on through our lives. So it's been yeah, it's totally. a real, real great thing to have. If I could add one more thing to my uh, memories, it would be. Um, you know, I, I don't know about any any of you guys, but when I had the cocoa, I knew no one who had a cocoa. I, I just yeah. and then finally in I think it was high school or maybe junior high school, I ran into a fellow in the computer lab. At the time our computer lab at school had Commodore sixty fours and I ran into this fellow named Paul and he had a cocoa three and eventually I ended up at his house and at the time I still had a cocoa two and uh he was uh Nice, and then I then I had to get a Coco three, but I don't think we got one until they actually like I think towards the end of that thing I think it might have actually got on sale. But the one thing that bugged me, he didn't have a monitor; he had just had a TV. But he was he would play Desert Rider in the wrong in the wrong artifact mode, and yeah. I, I did get him to break down on that one. <laughs> and uh, other than that, I was really not around any Coco users. So the first time I went to uh, PenFest, I'm like wow, there's all these other people that enjoy this. I had never had that experience before. All, all these other Coco people, I may have ran into a person here and there. Oh, I remember the Coco, but uh, that was uh, that was quite yeah. cool. But I, I, did, I didn't know anybody else at the time for, until, you know, until high school. I had the same issue. Like I had one friend that had an Apple II, and then I had another friend that had a TI-99 4A, another friend that had a PC, and, you know, they would, oh, yeah, you know, have you checked out the latest whatever game, whatever software? And it'd be like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh no, it's, it's just, that's just for a PC. Or no, no, that's just uh, an Apple game. And I'd be like, oh, man. So pretty much it was all BBSs for me that I got to, um, to, to, to actually get software specifically for the Coco. I guess so. Go ahead. My experience was a lot of Commodore. I had a lot of Commodore 64 years. It seemed like... As I said at the time, it seems like everybody and their brother has a Commodore 64. Yep. <laughs> I guess it depends what, what era you entered to, because in, in my case, I mean, I got my Coco in 81, and I'd been playing with it in the store since it first came out. Originally, I wanted a pet, because it's what we first had at school, and then when the Apple IIs came to school, and the, the pets, they were selling them off for 150 bucks, and we put in our name to get one, because I wanted to get one, because they were sharing these between the school board. But uh, they got sold before... Um, we got a chance to get them, thankfully. Um, and then the Apple IIs, we took one look at the price and went, well, you're not yeah. getting that at home. Um, so then I saved up for the 4K Coco 1. But we, because we, this is pre-VIC-20, this is pre-Commodore 64, we didn't have all that. We had Atari 400-800s, I guess, and the TI-94A a little bit later on. But um, I actually, we had quite a few Coco owners. I mean, I en ended up in Radio Shack. It was the first time I'd ever seen an artifact color game playing on the screen. It was Astro Blast by Mark Data Product, which is a third-party game. And I went to the Radio Shack manager there because I got to know him quite well. His name was Morris. I said, where did this come from? He said, I don't know. Some customer came in and loaded this up because at that time, Radio Shack didn't have any games that looked that good. And I'm going, well, I wonder who that guy was. And then about a week later, I was hanging around the Radio Shack again because I didn't have my Coco uh, 1 at the time. And a guy named Dick Powell came up. He was an older gentleman in his 40s, and I must have been maybe 12 or 13 at the time. And he... Uh, said, yeah, you're interested in this Cocoa thing. And then he started explaining the 6809. He used a hardware and a software guy. He could both program ML and he could do his own upgrades and design his own hardware. 
so he's quite knowledgeable about it. And he said, yeah, there's a few of us getting together here. Uh, there's some other people locally, both older and younger, that had cocos already or were about to get them. And he said, we're thinking about starting a club. So um, would you be interested in coming down? And a friend of mine, Dwayne Downing, um, he already had his cocoa. And then I ended up getting mine within about a month of that. And we started attending the meetings. In fact, I just I pulled out here just as a little side for my story with some of the newsletters we did back in the day. So this is from like 83 till 86 type things. So we had a bunch. I have to scan these in and put them up in the archive at some point. And we basically ended it after the Cocoa 3 came out. But um, we started attending the club meetings. And I think our first club meetings had 40 or 50 people. And I mean, we weren't that big of a city, but this is when the Cocoa was one of the only affordable color computers you could get that actually had a decent basic language on it. Um, and this, like I said, is pre-Vic 20, et cetera. So that, that would be my first memories of meeting the first other Cocoa owner, um, meeting the first club meeting where we had like quite a few people there all sharing knowledge. At that time, there wasn't even that much to pirate yet, to be honest. I mean, there was some piracy going on, but it was more to share the knowledge. People were showing, here's how you upgrade a Cocoa. Here's how you install extended basic. Here's how you build your own joystick using arcade parts. You know, all kinds of fancy things like that. And there's a mixture of the young kids like me and then the older people in their 40s that, you know, grew up with PDPs and that kind of stuff. And, and it, was, it was quite a fascinating cross-section of people. A lot of really personality-driven people, too. Like, there are a lot of eccentrics in this group. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, Nothing changed. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're more well-groomed now than back then. I will yeah. say that. But, um, yeah, we they're a lot more wise. Yeah. Wise eccentrics. My, my, my entire... <laughs> you might be eccentric. Yeah. My, my entire career was based on the Cocoa because we ended up getting a Cocoa 3 at work when the PDP died for the second time and it was costing like two grand to repair it every time. So we ended up replacing it with the Cocoa 3 with OS 9 and then built it into probably what was the biggest Cocoa 3 system ever made uh, with eight terminals and three parallel port printers and two hard drives and like mega RAM and a 6309. That's actually where Nitrous 9 was developed was for, for that originally. Um, but I do have a couple of pictures I wanted to share too that are kind of related to this. So uh, it's screen sharing enabled their marker. Okay, find my right. You guys can see that? Mm. Yep, yep. So this this would have been probably early 82 because in summer of 81 is when i got my 4k coco and at that time i had no cassette no joysticks it was just 4k coco so i type in a listing i'd write it down in 55 sheets of paper and i'd leave it on for two weeks straight so i could play that game until i got bored with it and then i'd go on to the next one because i didn't have anything to save it on that uh, christmas my mom and dad got me the cassette recorder and two black joysticks so that's at this era that I would have had this as pre-disc drive. I might have had extended basic by the time this photo was taken. So I would have been in grade nine, maybe 12, 13, like some other people were mentioning before. Well, you had a fancy setup there because your card table actually had a cloth over it. <laughs> most of us, most of us didn't have that luxury. My mom insisted on that because I was scratching the table up, shifting all the cassette record and the joysticks around. I'd be scratching the finish. So there's like, cloth in there. And uh, you can't see it in the frame there, but off, off the right where I'm staring at was one of those big wood grain case TVs, like a 30 inch or something like that on legs on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. How many, I, how, many, how many of us had had a card table set up for our Cocos? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It was almost a prerequisite, I think, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And then this is a typical pose for me too. I'm so tied into what I'm doing in the cocoa. I'm oblivious to the outside world. So I had no idea this picture was even getting taken. I had no idea there was anybody beside me at the time. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> totally relate to that. <laughs> and then this, this isn't the heyday of the cocoa. Um, and I don't know how well it'll show up here, but um, this was at the second print shop I worked at. Uh, the cocoa was originally set up with the first one, McKenzie Ray Tickets. We set it up in 8990. And it gradually expanded. Then Mercury Graphics bought them out in, in October of '92. And then the Coco ran the line printers, and even some of the lasers up until 2000. Year did we finally retire? Three or four, or something like that. So this is one oh, of the wow. back things. You can see through the window a couple of the old line printers there. These are the ones that actually print literally an entire line with one big hammer bank and just slam it onto the paper in one shot. So they printed 300 lines per minute, and we had the Coco driving three of those simultaneously using all this time. Um, you can kind of see the cocoa behind the chair there, the multi-pack. It's completely full. Every slot's full. That's how we got the eight serial ports and the three parallel ports and a real-time clock and the hard drive controller and a no-hold floppy and blah, 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 blah. You can see the hard drive off the left. We had a CM8. And then uh, on the far left, you can see an ADM22 terminal, which is one of the eight terminals we had hooked up to it because we had extra staff. They had to watch the printers. We could literally do it on the cocoa, but then you had to keep hitting the clear key to go between windows and say, where's this printer leaving off? How far is it along in this job type thing? So we usually had Bill or me, Bill Noble, who's also on here, uh, would do most of our stuff on the cocoa, and we would watch two of the printers maybe because we had you know three printers running simultaneously, and actually sometimes we had four or five, and we threw them onto the serial port printers. But the other staff there wasn't used to this whole multitasking thing, so they would go and each one would get a terminal, and they would watch the printer off their terminal and just run basic nine programs that we had set up for them. Uh, just on a per terminal per printer basis. So you had this all, but it was all running off the cocoa. And at Mackenzie Ray, we actually had the sales staff had their terminals set up. That was all linked in the cocoa. They could look up dockets and all kinds of stuff. And it would all, we had you know multi-user chats if they wanted a little thing where they didn't want to leave their office because they were expecting a call. They could actually do text chats with up to like all eight of us at once, plus Bill and me on as the ninth and tenth on the cocoa itself. It was it was a pretty cool system. I know Lonnie Falk, we talked to him about it at the 80. Or sort of the 1990 Rainbow Fest, and uh, he wanted us to do an article. And Bill and I had started writing one. We had done some filming, took some pictures, and then I had to move to a different apartment, and some stuff got lost, so it never got published. I mean, I know I have no idea what happened to the tapes. Unfortunately, it was pretty cool because we were panning the camera from watching you running stuff on OS9, switching through Windows, walking to the next room. You could see the three printers we just showed you the programs running for, all running simultaneously. And then you know, get a terminal and something. We even threw some games on the terminals for people to use if they were. You know, near the end of the day and didn't have anything to do, they could play some sort of torpedo attack game or skiing game or some of these simple things we did for the terminals. So, but literally, it started my career because I, I, when the PDP first died, we were delayed for a week waiting for parts to come in. The second time it died, we got told, well, that part's rare. So it's going to take two weeks to get it. And we were in the middle of rush season where we have very tight deadlines. And, and my bosses were freaking out, like, what are we going to do here? We can't print anything. Like, we can't even get our jobs finished. And I said, well, I've got this computer at home. And at that time, I had, I think a Disto Supercontroller 2 with a 3 in 1 board. So I had a real parallel port and I had a serial to parallel interface PBH one as well. So I could drive two printers simultaneously off the Cocoa already. And I had fiddled with it at o- with OS9 at home because we had four computer geeks living in the same house. We had six computers and six phone lines and almost ran BBSs and stuff. So I had a lot of hardware to test this out on. I said, I think this can handle it. 
And uh, we brought it in with Base 9 and, and the no hulk floppy controller so I could read the data files off the floppy without pausing the printers all the time and stuff. We actually got both printers running. And then they saw, you know, what, what, what does one of these systems cost? And it was like, you know, at that time, you can get a Cocoa 3 with 512K, a monitor, a Burke and Burke hard drive type thing for maybe a thousand bucks total. And they're going, well, that's like half the cost of this one board we're keeping having to replace on the PDP. So they said they gave us the budget to go get it. And then we spiced it up a bit. We added one meg upgrades and we added the eliminator from Frank Hogg to add a bunch of ports and Bill custom designed a couple of cards to give us some extra ports as we grew. But uh, literally the Coco ran the entire print division for that company or the two companies from uh, late 89, right through till, you know, 2001, two, three, somewhere around there. We gradually retired. The lasers were getting faster and faster and the Coco couldn't quite keep up, but we still were doing some line printer stuff and the Coco definitely kept up with that just fine. So. Literally a 15 minute career on a cocoa. How loud with the uh, line printers? It would have been pretty loud. Oh, very. That's fun. why you, they're in that separate room. You can see the two panes of glass there. Yeah. Because yep. sound isolated room because they were incredibly loud and there was three yeah. of them. We had a couple 300 line per minute ones. We had a 600 line per minute one and we had a 1200 line per minute one. I find it incredible that a cocoa three with some additional hardware replaced a PDP 11. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I was just cheaper. like cheap, cheaper, and it was much easier to add on to. Bill and I, because of the multitasking and stuff, we'd be programming, you know, the next job. We'd be programming a module for Nitrous Nine in another window, and we'd, we'd be, you know, dumping out some other job that just came in to figure out what we needed to do. And if you know we were crowding the keyboard too much there, then one of us would just hop over to a terminal and do it over there. Sometimes we'd have two terminals, you know, side by side, and I'd be checking one program on one, and I'd be programming something else based on the other while Bill's doing three or four things on the Cocoa itself. So. It was a really nice environment to grow into. And back at this time, we're talking like Windows 3, 3.1, which couldn't even format a floppy at the same time that you were doing that. Yeah. So <laughs> I was formatting yeah, like literally 70, 80, three and a half inch floppies to do backups with while we're running all these printers simultaneously and not even really slowing it down. So it was, it was a beautiful system. I've had pieces of it still here. I actually brought the Eliminator card to Coco Fest there a few years back to show people what What's the box next to the filing cabinet? What's Is that a... A drive of some kind? A drive, probably. External hard drive, probably. The white one? Yeah, that's that's the uh, 40 meg Seagate, the 80 meg Seagate. It was two hard drives. Wow. In the same and that's connected to the Coco? Yep. That's and, amazing. And right beside that, you can barely see the very top, we had a dual floppy. It was a 360K, uh, five and a quarter inch, and a 720K, three and a half. And those are both plugged into the Eliminator card from Frank Hogg, because that card actually drove up to three hard drives and four floppies, all in no halt simultaneously. Huh. Wow. Impressive, pretty epic. Mm. Anyway, that was my little share. <laughs> yeah, your Can experience I is. I was so going to say your experience, uh, Curtis, is definitely different than most of the uh, yes. <laughs> computer users out there. I mean, I have to admit my experience is a little different because uh, I was reverse engineering and developing the stuff. But yeah, you know, most most people they're a kid, they got the machine, and they just banged in those uh, rainbow magazines. Yeah. In the and, Coco and 1 and 2 days, that is what I was doing. Like that first picture that I showed you in 81, yeah. that's what I was doing. I mean, I, I couldn't afford games. So I, I typed in some games from the very first big, thick, you know, color basic manual. And I learned to program. And I wrote probably a dozen low-res 4K games, which unfortunately, the listings that I'd written down, I've lost all but one of them. So I yeah. didn't have 
Yeah, I still remember occasionally when I'd buy a, a cocoa for processing like that, there would be a Rainbow Magazine card in there. That, that, that was a good thing for, for Frank Hogg. He was able to promote his magazine directly from Radio Shack. Yeah. Well, I remember Frank wrote the infamous article in Color Computer News, you know, 64K for free, which is when we're early discussion with Richard, et cetera, about the 32 64K chips. They were half bad. And then they discovered that Tandy had basically switched over to using just good ones because it was too much of a pain in the ass to figure out which ones he had. And then when OSI was coming out, so he actually published the article. You know, you had to snip this capacitor here, do some certain things, and then you get this instant 32K extra for free. And mm -hmm. he published a little test program to copy the basic ROMs into RAM, and then you could do all kinds of fancy stuff. So, right. I'm pretty sure it might have been that article that I read when I was doing my. Oh, maybe it wasn't. Maybe that was later. But I remember that article. I remember reading it. Now, the, did, uh, did we ever get Grant uh, to talk about his stuff? Yeah, he talked about his Coco okay, 285. I want to make sure. So I think that pretty much catches everybody on the panel. How except you for- Oh, wait, you got well, Stevie there I, and Rob Inman yet, I think, still. Okay. Yeah, Stevie? I can go real. Oh, sorry. Or, or Curtis, who did you say? Uh, well, let's do Rob first, because Rob hasn't said anything lately, and we'll do Stevie okay. right after that. All right. Yeah, I don't have a, a lot of anecdotes, so I'll be quick. But um, I was very, very young when I got my first color computer. So I think I had the I had the TRS-80 uh, Color Computer 2, 16K. And I'm pretty sure it had extended color basic. I didn't, I wasn't aware it was sold with without uh, extended color basic. Uh, but then later uh, upgraded to, to a 64K Color Computer 2, I think primarily to play uh, Ganabuana, uh, and then uh, Color Computer uh, 3, and then 512K to play uh, the, the King's Quest games. With, uh, and, and then I got a, a, hard, a 20 meg hard drive to, to do stuff with OS9. So uh, most of the stuff, I um, pretty much everything I bought um, was from Radio Shack. I think even, even Telewriter 64 I got from Radio Shack and didn't know anybody with the cocoa um rainbow was my my portal to the outside world and um couldn't afford any of the uh the contras or the come guy to be ninja or uh you know warrior king or any of these fancy other games iron forest uh so all that stuff i'm discovering uh, now and, and and getting to play all those games i couldn't afford uh never had any free games uh, or pen pals giving me copyrighted uh, games. I paid for all of my Steve Bjork games. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> although they probably were on sale when I did. So uh, that's really that's really it. I mean, the, my big thing was convincing my parents to buy me OS 9 uh, because that's not something easy to explain. Uh, and it was probably not on sale. Um, and it comes in that giant binder uh, yeah. right? it's this thousand page manual yeah this <laughs> enormous manual and you've got a you know but i you know i sat there and went through you know went through it and, and learned a lot of at least a lot about operating system and how an operating system works if not uh you know actually being able to program and i typed in all the programs from the rainbow i saved the extra i don't know it was extra 10 bucks a month or five i don't know what it was for um for getting a rainbow on cassette or disc, but but um, I saved that money and typed everything in uh, by hand, uh, every single program. So um, uh, probably that's why I got, ended up getting glasses. I think by '89, 
<laughs> but I was pretty young. I think I was only uh, six years old when I uh, got my first uh, Macaulay computer too. So um, that's that's really my my uh, story. Mm, cool. And you definitely got further into OS nine than Nick Morantes did. I think he got up to page three in the manual. And he stopped there. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you said that about OS nine because I was just saying uh, in the chat room that OS nine also taught a lot of really useful concepts with like multitasking and file redirection and going to when I went to Unix University I already had a bit of a step up because I already knew some of the concepts and it was like a lot of stuff yeah translated. I would have done even better if I could have afforded you know the OS 9 uh, programs and games and anything for OS 9 was also really expensive so yeah. uh, you know if it didn't if it didn't come out from Tandy and just with OS 9 you know it was what Tandy released on OS 9, you could put on your hard drive and then you could launch everything. So that was that was useful. But if you wanted to really, you know, buy any specialized program for OS 9, it was very expensive. And so I now I'm actually going through again, I'm going to getting to, to go through the OS 9 stuff without having to spend hundreds of dollars um, on the software, uh, of course. So it's uh, that's why I've been so kind of jazzed up about OS 9 and of course everything going on with Ease of use, which we have Nick Morentes to thank us for. Let's not forget <laughs> that trash can. Yeah. Well, before yes. we before we go to Nick, I'd like to just give you a fond memory that I have about as going through the technology of the Coco. When you first got the Coco with Color Basic, it was a nightmare typing in programs because if you had a long line, you messed up. You typed that freaking long line in again. Yep. And again, <laughs> and again. So when you got extended basic and you could do edit a line. Yep. <laughs> matter of fact, I got so frustrated with it. I wrote the screen editor control system that Datasoft actually sold, which was a screen editor for regular color basic. And um, also even gave you uh, high res graphics. And cool. I think we sold about 300 of those. So there's other people that liked it too, but you actually edited it on the screen. And then they finally came out with the line editor and I'm going, this is backwards. It's not a screen editor. <laughs> it's designed for a terminal, but mm -hmm. you had it, you used it. And of course, the other th technology that you had with the Coco was saving to tape. How many people would save their program to tape then grab a second tape and save that program and maybe even go to a third tape and save mm. the program because you I never knew with the quality of tape how well it was going to record. Yeah, yeah. or or you type poke, you, you, you forgot to type in poke 65494, or how about this one? Every new tape you always made sure you fast forward and rewind it. So you stretched the tape so it would record better. And, and also don't forget if you had those non-computer tapes, just regular cassettes and had the stupid leader on there. So you rewind oh, it, right. it forward yep. and fast, you'd start saving over top plastic. Yeah, yeah, advanced. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just think about all these things we're talking about. And then there's this newfangled thing called a floppy disk drive. $800 in Canada when it first came out. You know, 500 in the US, as I recall. And if you want a second drive, it was another $400. And, here, yeah. but the thing is, with most cases, you put the disc in 
and you saved the file, when you pulled the disk out and put it back in later, it would actually load. <laughs> yeah. Unlike cassette. <laughs> but, and, then, and then of course, well, floppies are starting to get expensive. So we started finding some ways that we could flip the single side floppy so you could write to it by punching. Yeah, punching in the hole, the index hole yeah. and the right protect hole. Yeah, yeah. so Maybe. The, these are part of the joys I remember of yeah. early day of, com of computing is all the things that you would deal with because stuff was either so slow, so expensive, so unreliable. And now we take all this for granted. Yeah, now we just have to worry about things like reg edit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we can buying now stuff secondhand. Yeah. Well, now we can. Now we can. The rule I bought was brand new. Everything okay. was secondhand. Now we're starting to run out of time here, so I do want to go to Nick. Okay. Have Before him we give go to a... Nick, though, Stevie's been trying to get in here with something oh. to it. One of the okay, him Stevie, pop in quick. Well, he's not on. Oh, he was. He will be. You still there, Stevie? Because I know you were trying to, to get in there. Well, there he's yeah, unmuted now. Just go, go ahead. Go ahead. For this, for the sake of saving time, go ahead and move on to Nick. Okay. okay. All right, Nick, why don't you give That's us right. a, a brief thing of your memories, and then we're going to go to your segment. Oh, me? Uh, <laughs> have we got time? I mean, I don't mind yeah. if we leave it for next week. Well, no, no, no. We want to at least get your memories in. Okay. Well, my memories. Well, I guess to try and make my story a bit different to everyone else's because a lot of a lot of the story is very similar to everyone else but for me i started on a trs80 model one back in 1980 um and, and actually probably is more interesting if i talk about before i got my trs80 model one i was the typical you know trs80 tandy store hobbit you know after school <laughs> i'd be there <laughs> until the store closed and I'll be trying to use the, or learning to use the Tirosati model one level one 4K computer. Now this is, of course, I knew nothing about computers. So I learned how to program in basic and um, I, I became very good at it. You know, and that's where I learned how to uh, do multi-statement lines and how to do other little tricks just to get the most out of level one 4k basic and um, I guess what's interesting is how I then switched across to learning assembly language because I was um, such a, a good basic programmer I think I think by then the the store had had upgraded to the level two model one as well and I was writing games in basic at the computer store I'd write I write it on paper at school and then after school, I'd go into the Tandy store and I'd type in the, you know, the program, save it to a cassette there. And that's, that's how I used it before I actually bought my own Model 1. But um, I was a really good basic programmer and I was writing very dense and uh, optimized, I guess, basic programs. I was the king. And until this little kid come along, who also was a bit of a, you know, computer learn, learning computers as well. He come in one day and he loaded up the the Z bug. Remember the Ed, uh, the Z bug assembler uh, monitor rather. Yeah, he loaded that up on the machine and 
started typing all these little numbers and stuff. And I thought, what the hell is he doing? I reckon he doesn't know what he's doing. Anyway, <laughs> one, one of the big benchmarks for BASIC was how fast you can white out a screen. And, you know, you do set, reset and paint the screen. It took a couple of minutes to do that. You know, back then I, I learned how to do strings and how to wipe the screen out from basic. So I was the king, you know, I, I wrote the fastest screen white out program. So this kid came along and he's got Zbug loaded. He's typing all these numbers, which made no sense to me. I thought, what the hell is he doing? Anyway, finished typing and then was ready to press enter, presses enter, boom, the screen is just instantly white. He obviously wrote a, a machine language program that just painted the screen white. And that was it. <laughs> I was blown away. I was completely shot out of the water by, by how fast it was. And I, it was from that day onwards, I thought, well, Screw basic. I know where <laughs> I, know, I know where the where the future was, and I just had to learn machine language. And on the model one, I wrote about what six commercial grade programs, of which I think two of them were basic with hybrid, and the rest were machine language games. And that took me till around 1984. So when I finally got my color computer, the the tier, it was well past the Coco 1. I think the Coco 2 was just about to come out by 1984. So I missed out on all those early Coco years because I was too busy with the TRS-80 Model 1. So when the yeah, when I finally got to the Color Computer 2, um, I almost didn't go to it. I wasn't really happy with the Coco 2. I wanted something better. And I was looking at the Commodore 64s and all that, but I was a Tandy man and I ended up going to a Coco. So I got a Coco and I started programming on that. And uh, that eventuated later to a Coco 3 and I'm still here. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> well, all of it is history. <laughs> but yeah, I all started with a 2080 Model 1 back in 1980. Cool. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know if Steve's available. You can have his little say. Is he still, where are we? Where's our Stevie gone? I think he's gone. Yeah, I think Steve's gone. Yeah. Okay. Fell asleep. Okay. Yeah. He, his Ooh. battery probably died on his phone. Yeah. Ooh. Do we have a game on? Well, if for that, we could do the quick game on if, we, if we've got time. We're going on close to three hours now. Yeah, uh, no. I do not want to go over three hours. Um, how long do you think you need for your segment? I can do it really quick. I just got some okay. pictures to show and I'll just explain it and I'll keep it to five, ten minutes at the most. Okay, let's do that. Okay, that's the music. Uh, <laughs> let me see if I can <laughs> let me see if I can get the um, screen shared so I can at least show. Uh, I think someone someone's yeah someone's got the screen still. 
Okay. Share. Oh, that's not coming up. Here we are. Let's see. I've got to find that and share. Now there's no sound. Yeah. So is that coming up for you? Yes, yep. it is. And there's a mouse pointer on uh, on the screen. Yes. Yep. Okay, now uh, as another side note or uh, a side project from my Gunstar, I keep having these side projects because it's a way of keeping myself motivated. Just when things are getting tough, I just go do something else and I come back. So there's a, an idea I had to try and um, create something uh, on the Coco 1 and 2, which is designed for doing adventure games. Uh, Sands of Egypt style, whereby you have the picture in the top of the screen and your um, text parser at the bottom, um, like Sands of Egypt. But I wanted something that I, I didn't want to so much write the adventure because I'm working on another project, but I thought as a tool for other people to use so they can write their own programs in BASIC to do a similar thing. But I had this idea of how do we create something that looks a bit better or different on a Coco 1 and 2? I mean, the Coco 1 and 2, we've got the SG4 graphics, eight colors. It's got its you know, color limitations and all that. But then I thought, what happens if we could flash between two pages so that the colors can be mixed, similar to what John Kowalski did on the high color where he, he fluctuates between two colors sometimes to get a few more things. So I thought I'd write a little basic editor to create these two page images. And then there's a machine code subroutine which links into basic and does the page uh, fl flashing between the two pages in the background of basic. So that way you could have a basic program, but this machine code is displaying a picture on your screen, which is a merged color picture that you previously created with say this editor. So this is a screenshot. I, I, the reason I'm screen sh shooting it is because, because these pictures are flashing between two pages, there is a degree of flicker depending on the two colors that are being mixed together on the screen, if they're high, con you know, the contrast of the two colors is quite high, uh, quite different, the, it, it tends to flicker a bit more. So, and that flickering uh, over Zoom or over the internet, it doesn't come across very well and you can't really see it. So I took some screen, some photos or screenshots of my real Coco. And this is the startup screen to my editor. Uh, now, it's a blank picture up there at the moment, which allows me to edit two pictures of, the, of, the, of that size you see in the top, the blue area. And uh, on the screen here, on the left side, depending on where your cursor is, it shows you what byte is on that on one screen, um, and that's signified by the arrow, or you can move it across and see the other byte on the second screen in the same location. Now, in this case, it's just blue on each on each screen. So it's it's flashing it up so you just see a blue screen. You change those bytes by typing in the pixels in the center square uh, using the keyboard, the QAWS, in, in the position where those pixels normally would appear. And you choose the color, 
with uh, pressing the numbers to choose a color. Once you've got the block you want and you've selected which of the two pages you want to throw it into, you then just dump it using a joystick. This is all joystick, joystick driven on the uh, cursor keys. You press the fire button on the joystick and it pokes the, the value that's highlighted, whatever whatever value you've created in the middle, it'll poke it across to that screen and it appears straight away, the machine code routine will display it. Now, what sort of quality can we expect? Well, here's, here's one I created uh, earlier. So on the second screen, I made a little title page for the game. So, and I've called the program an SG4 editor. Uh, and I've called it an adventure screen maker. And straight off, you can see, um, well, on this, it's a bit blurry on this picture, but there's yellow text. This is normal yellow VDG text on a red background. And the top one is uh, sort of a, uh, not quite white. It's got a bit of a cyan, light cyan on a blue background. That's text. That's not graphics or anything. That's, that's text just like you see on the bottom of the screen but we're getting a mixture of colors. And even in the border, you are seeing, you know, colors which are sitting next to each other, which normally you can't, you, you couldn't do. And actually you can't even do those colors. Uh, you're not quite seeing the full resolution of the colors with these screenshots I've taken, but you do get, well, logically you could create from the eight colors that the Coco 2 does, uh, potentially 64 colors. Now that's not totally right because some of the color combinations flicker so badly you can't use them. But out of all those 64 combinations, the, you get about 20, maybe 30, which are usable. And they're very unique sort of colors to what the Coco 2 normally does. So to just show what this potentially could be used for as an adventure game, my next screen, I decided to do a bit of a mock-up and I've created, you know, just a, a blue sky with a, uh, I don't know what color you call that, but it's not quite one of the standard colors. Uh, a tree there where straight off, you see there's no black dots, squares next to some of those pixels where you normally can't have more than two uh, a foreground and a background color. And I can potentially have up to about three, maybe four colors in a bite. So anyway, I've used that to try detail the tree there. There's two um, layers of red there. Uh, and that's happening in machine code. That's always showing up. Your basic program is still running. I can actually hit break at this point and list the program and the program would list. But when you run the program, the machine code takes over and it runs in the background, uh, oblivious to the basic. So you write your adventure game in basic and your pictures, which eventually when I write the second part of this program, you can have up to almost uh, 90 pictures stored in two color pages of, of pictures stored in memory sitting underneath the 32k of uh, rom space so all your pip pictures on a 64k coco one and two or three or dragon uh, will sit stored under the rom so you still have all your basic space available for your basic program
And the machine code routine, all you have to do is a, a couple of little pokes to tell it which picture you want displayed. And it would fetch the, the, the background and throw it up on the screen while your basic program continues doing whatever it's meant to do. So you just, you know, you have the, the adventure game in there. Another picture I've done is another one here that shows all these different color combinations you can do with the text. So that's by mixing text characters with graphic characters. And you can see straight off, you know, you're getting color combinations of tag text on the standard 32 column screen, which you don't normally get on a VDG, you know, the yellow text on red background and Oh, you can see all the colors there. It's, it's quite a varied um, outline. And then what happens when you mix two text characters together? And that's what the second line does. You can actually merge characters together to create new ones. So there, it's almost like, well, it's not programmable characters, but it has that programmable character look. And that's because it's flashing two screens at 60 hertz or 60 fields per second. Um, and uh, one more thing, I decided to do a mock-up of a Space Invaders game using com the com combination of text characters. And as you can see, like in the top row there, he looks like a, an actual alien character. And that's actually made from the letter V and the letter X together being superimposed over each other, being flashed. And you can see it looks quite good. You can even see the two eyes on the alien, which are slightly brighter green. Uh, a few others there. And on the side, you can see the, the color, the, the, the displays where it says score and there's a, a demo score there are in you know red background and blue background. You don't get that, the laser base. It's just done with normal blocks, but I put two equal signs either side to give it just a bit more detail. So that's that's the idea of this program where you can create these pictures, store them in, uh, it has a, a menu actually, if I go to the next screen, there's a menu system whereby you can load various banks of um, pictures of which I've got eight banks and each bank holds 12 pictures and they can all be loaded or will be when I get to that point, loaded underneath the ROM. So you've got available 12 times eight pictures of the color mixed um, pages that your basic program can just bring up at any time just by doing a poke to tell it which one you want up there and the, the background machine language will display it while your basic program just does whatever it's meant to do. You know, it play the interpret your command line down in the bottom part of the screen. So there's that. And there's another stage as well, which allows overlays. So you can actually define overlays. So uh, by overlays, what I mean is what you're going to have is you're going to have the, your background image. Say, for example, the say this image here in your adventure game, that'll be a, a standard background. And what if you uh, in you come up to a character, say in the adventure game, and you you know you you talk to him or whatever, or even if it's if it's an object in the screen, like a chair, for example. Well, you would have chair, the chair graphic stored elsewhere as an object, or a person, their face stored as an object, 
And then your basic program can just say, give me that background and it would bring up that background. But I also want you to put object numbers five and 10 printed uh, at that position. And it would then overlay the chair or a person's face over there. Uh, and your basic program would then continue going while the, the image is being displayed or with your overlays or whatever you design. Uh, and, and, and that's that's basically it. It's, it's, it's designed for people to be able to program their own adventure games in basic, but have this program creating these color graphics in the top part of the screen, which use, utilizes this flashing between two pages to get a few more colors or even a few more interesting characters. So that's my SG4 editor project, which is uh, um, sidelined me from my gun star uh, only for a short time, but <laughs> I, I, so are you, are you going to make this available for people or what's yeah, the plan? Yeah. Well, actually at this point, Erico, I don't know if you've, you mm -hmm. know, of Erico on the Facebook group, who's been playing with a lot of SG4 graphics. I'm actually designing it for him because Erico actually does have ideas for an adventure game. He's been wanting to do an adventure game. Um, and I've spoken to Erico and I've told him about this and I've sent him a copy of this program so he can start learning to use it um, so he can create pictures. So he Erico's going to try put together an adventure game with these images he'll create with this program. But yeah, the end goal is that it becomes a general tool for, for other people to use. But okay. I'll, I'll release it. Uh, officially to everyone once I get the second stage of this program. This is currently only the uh, graphics editor part of it. The other part's going to be the actual code that's meant to be for the game itself. Yay. So that's that's stage two, which I'll, I'll start that pretty soon in my next um, um, distraction from my gunstar. <laughs> But uh, at this stage, yeah, Eric is the one who's um, trying to use it. It's a little bit awkward to use because you you can't just um, access the pixels as if they're just a pixel because you've got to think in terms of two screens have to come together, uh, mm -hmm. mix the colors, mix the characters to do that. So it's not quite obvious as to how to draw something, but you get used to the concept that you know, one side has byte as the first byte that is overlaid by the next byte. And then when they're mixed together, you get certain colors or certain patterns come mm -hmm. up. So it's a little bit awkward, but you persevere, you can, you, you can do it. Uh, I do also support the uh, option to choose the upper text color set as well. The, the orange rather than the, the black, right. uh, the black and green rather. You can do the black, black and amber or orange um, text set mm -hmm. as well if and, and, that gives you a few extra colors as well but uh that's my project the sg4 okay. editor well thank you nick uh we're definitely running out of time here yep and i think we've done straight on to three hours yep <laughs> still got so, one more thing to go though we do okay yep yep <laughs> what one more Oh, yes, I will. Uh, hang on. Let me get back to the uh, um, blah, blah, blah. I'll just close this. And has that stopped?
Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, yep. So we got one more thing, have we? Yep. Let's make an hour long, and we go for four hours now. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> now we got to end the show very quickly here, folks. So yeah, we got to pay Steve uh, double time mm-hmm. if we go over. Yep. yep. Oh well, so be it. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yeah, a little lead up that I've been working on for months and promising every week and uh, finally got it all done and spent a whole week preparing this and getting everything together with this demo. So, How long is yeah, the demo? It's only a couple of minutes. It's a little okay. video that I put together. So We can do two minutes. Yep, yeah, cool. You got that ready? Oh, yeah, cool. Okay. Well, I'm uh, going to demonstrate right here. I've got this board here from uh, Second Sound. Yep, yep, yeah. Those MIDI outputs, control voltage outputs, gate outputs, and it's got its own oscillator built in, and it converts an input signal, which can be any audio signal, any monophonic, meaning uh, one note at a time audio signal, and it will convert it into MIDI notes, into pitch and control voltage for controlling the analog synthesizer. Um, I've got MIDI plugged into the system 8 up here. I've got the pitch and control voltage plugged into that and both of them linked together. Uh, and I've got my faithful old uh, Tandy TRS-80 colour computer one, which I've had since brand new in the early 80s. Um, and I've, I've uh, taken a bit of the Radio Shack demo program, the section in the middle plays some music. Just uses the play command, I don't know if you'll be able to see this. Um, List. It's just a basically a list of. Uh, uh, let me stop. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've loaded that. Let's see. Let's see what happens when I run it. Uh, there we go. Just to show that it is that if I type in play C D E F G A B, for example, oh, let's just put a let's just do that. Seven notes of the scale. <laughs> One more note. Uh, okay, so uh, that's just a little quick demo of this uh, wonderful uh, evaluation kit from Brian from Second Sound. Um, yeah, it's the start of many experiments to come. Very good. Mm. Mm. Oh, thank you for allowing that little end bit at the end there. Was... Yeah, that's impressive. Thank you. Yeah, it sounds sounds a lot better than the uh, standard audio yeah, out on the command, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, let's do it. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame we may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Cause Coco Talk is rocking the A big world.
Consider supporting the show with the purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at CocoTalk.live. CocoTalk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew and contributors. CocoTalk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because CocoTalk is rocking the 8-bit world. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Morentes, Ron Delvaux, Rick Adams, Jason Reichert, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Reichert, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, John Strong, and many more, especially Steve Bjork for his production suggestions. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew Podcast at CocoCrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club host of Coco Fest at GlensideCCC.com. Retro Innovations at Go, the number four, Retro.com. Tandy Assembly at TandyAssembly.com. Boyson Technologies at BoySonTech.com. Get your own switcheroo and wallaby cable at CocoMan.biz. Cloud9 Technologies at Cloud, the number nine, Tech. Com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Well, that is our show. But if you can't get enough of Coco Talk on these Saturdays, stop by um, our Coco Talk channel on Discord. Uh, if somebody could post a link in the chat, that would be great. But uh, you'll see us... Um, hanging out there. We do, of course, text chats, but more importantly, we do audio chats usually in the evenings on the, uh, let's see, America time. And uh, so if you can't get enough of us now, and I don't know how it is, uh, you can <laughs> talk to us on Discord. You can also text chat to us if you have questions or suggestions for the show. There's some channels devoted to uh, suggestions. There's also just ones on general topics on programming the Cocoa and doing hardware and stuff like that, too. You can feel free to ask. Even if you're in a completely different time zone, you can leave a text message and you know, some of us yep. will respond. Yeah, we regularly go through and look at the messages, figure out which ones we want to respond to. <laughs> There's a lot of them sometimes. But uh, no, and then we do chit chats in the evening, usually. I ask a lot of questions there. <laughs> so I appreciate you guys helping me out. Oh, don't we know it? No, too. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, truth, truth. I, I mean, we were just helping Bruce understand how you should handle the MMU registers on a Coco 3. Treat them as right only. <laughs> then you won't have problems. Yeah, yeah that's the weird <laughs> thing. It's like so weird how some of them you can read from, but some of them you just can't trust. Well, the original gimmies, A, B, and C, you, they were write-only. Then they tried to make it read-only on the D version, which was the first one shipped, and it kind of worked. But if you also <laughs> remember, the D version had lots of sparkles on the screen. Well, when you were accessing the, uh, uh, the MMU registers, it also accessed the palette registers and caused sparkles. And then uh, they supposedly got it right on the final version, but uh, Tandy never trusted, so their specs was right only.
because it always works. That's, yep. Yeah. Otherwise, you couldn't trust them because they're because there's a lot of atoms involved, and atoms make up everything. Right. So, anyways, these are types of discussions. That's on the techie side, and then there's lots of them that aren't. But if you want to talk about the cocoa and some of your interests, you might be able to find a channel and other folks that share your interests too. Definitely. Thanks a lot for letting me chat with you guys, man. It's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Glad you. to have you. And with that, why don't we press the button and really end the show? <laughs> See you guys. See you next week, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.